Hello, welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I'm your host. There's a car driving by right now, and I'm glad we caught that in this intro. My guest today is oh, the incredibly inspiring, talented force of nature that is Reggie Watts. So Reggie Watts is a comedian, uh, a musician. He's done TED. He's done a TED talk. He's uh, he has his, his his Netflix special. He's on the James Corden show. I mean. And the guy has done so much. He was on the, the comedy Bang Bang. Just what doesn't he do? He is a force of nature. Um, and it's just us today having a chat, living our lives, uh, talking about uh, a million different things. And uh, he's fascinating. He's so brilliant. He's so curious about everything, VR, uh, psychedelics, people, feelings, life, music, the world. So that was really a lovely uh, opportunity I had to sit with him. I think uh, I think a janitor is walking by right now as I record this intro. That's cool. See, there are no mistakes, you guys. Uh, this is a synchronicity at its finest. Um, another car. Anyway, um, you guys, I've been going through a lot lately. And uh, last week, uh, nobody really responded to last week's podcast. You know why? Probably because just, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. But uh, I didn't get very honest and forthcoming in my intro, uh, which is something I usually do. And uh, when I do that, I get a lot of feedback. People enjoy that. They they reach out to me. They tell me about their own sob stories and problems and feelings and whatnot. And uh, listen, I'm going to give you a little more uh, insight uh, and entree into my life this week. So I have, for whatever reason, and I know the reason actually, have been going through... Um, not mania, but like kind of because uh, my girlfriend was like, you're going through a manic episode, Alexi. You're going through a manic episode. This is mania. And I'm like, is it? Is it? I felt bizarre. I felt off. I felt not like myself. And when I don't feel like myself, I don't Insta story. So I don't know if anybody of you, uh, you know, who tune into the show regularly, the Love Alexi podcast, uh, which you are listening to right now. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe you've noticed I've not been Insta storying uh, like I usually do at all. And uh, usually when I answer a story, it does look like mania. It's just me. It's the camera pointed to my face. I'm talking about my feelings and my thoughts and everything that's going on in my brain and my mind's eye and whatnot. I have not been doing that. And when I'm not doing that, it's actually meaningful. It means that um, I'm probably going through something or I'm extremely busy or both, or I'm going through some kind of uh, you know internal uh, debacle which kind of was happening. I needed to take a break. I needed to take a break from social media. It was too much, the static noise of it. I unfollowed a bunch of people, nothing personal. I just had to like eliminate the number of people I was following because it was just like, it's so noisy to me, you know? Uh, There's a tank tanker truck just going by. Maybe you guys can't even hear this, but I can. So I'm going to mention every time I hear something drive by, hopefully a car. Um, yeah, so I unfollowed a bunch of people. I I just had to tune out of uh, Instagram and Twitter, primarily Instagram. Um, and I was just like, uh, my mind was more active than usual, if you can believe it. And I started going on this search, and uh, and I offer these I offer these things called big sister sessions, which uh, you know I think my friends roll their eyes because they're like, what are you a life coach now? And no, how dare you! Big sister sessions stem from, uh, they're the catharsis of my girls' night in events that I usually throw on a monthly basis, which are parties where I give out gift bags and have pizza and 
you know, beer or wine or whatever. And it's for girls only. And we all sit around and talk about feelings. And I serve as like a big sister to give advice. And of course, uh, and I don't, I don't want to throw these parties for a little bit because they're very stressful for me. And I like one-on-one sessions better, which is what the big sister sessions are. I can have a one-on-one session with a girl or a woman or a lady or a babe or whatever um, over Skype or in person. And that way I can put all of my attention on, on, a, on a woman and, uh, and what she's going through and feeling and spiraling over. And uh, yeah, I'm completely unqualified. I'm not a therapist, but I will tell you, because I feel so deeply and am so completely sensitive and I'm on, I feel like my entire life is this like journey towards self-realization and figuring out what it all means and getting rid of and chipping away at like my karma and working through childhood issues and and just like becoming the best version of myself and yakety schmackety. Um I'm reading every book. I'm going to every workshop. I'm doing hypnotherapy. I'm going to psychiatrists, psychologists. I'm meditating. I even chanted the other day. I did some Buddhist chanting, which I fucking loved. And I'll talk about that in a minute. That was a game changer. Mood-wise, vibe-wise, essence-wise, soul's potential-wise. Anyway, so yeah. So when my friends or anybody out there who wants to talk shit about, I mean, who cares? I shouldn't even be addressing people who are negative, but like, I get it. If you're like, oh, why would Alexi Wilson blah, 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 offer like, you know, why would anybody pay money to blah, blah, blah? Well, you know why? Because I'm really good at giving advice and I'm going through all the feelings and all the experiences and taking all the, uh, the classes, the courses, reading all the books, doing all the stuff, doing all the work. So when you come to me spiraling, I can save you some time and energy and tell you everything I've learned. And another person, me, uh, yeah, of course I'm going through my own bullshit. We all are. We all are. But somebody else, me, has more of an objective opinion. If I don't know you and I'm, it's, you know, and I'm like outside of your situation and, uh, you know, you have have much more clarity and, uh, I do give good advice. I give really good advice because why? It's loving for whatever reason. I'm an empath and I have so much love for people. All I want to do is make people feel less alone via my own stories and, and uh, experiences and uh, and just, yeah, listen and uh, put my attention on other people and uh, make them feel better and less alone. Anyway, so yeah. But yeah, I've been going through all this stuff lately and uh, and I feel like I've come through on the other side, at least this week today, I'm feeling fantastic. And I, I think I'd owe it all to like, I hung out with my mom uh, and I went to see a psychiatrist because I was like, should I look into like medication to quiet my anxiety and to, because I feel like at times I have, I can be very obsessive. I can be, I have a bit of OCD. I think very intensely more so than a lot of people I know. And it serves me for this podcast and for doing intros like this or for writing. I do write, you know, um, but it can create a lot of suffering. The thinking, the thinking, the thinking when my brain never shuts off and, you know, and and the meditating, uh, you know, when I do it helps a little bit, but, uh, I went to see a psychiatrist and I told him about my stuff and he was like, you are not manic. It doesn't sound like mania. It just sounds like you have a, uh, you have a tendency to lean towards sometimes irrational thinking 
and you can be a little bit obsessive and you're anxiety ridden. And that stems from childhood and how you were raised and the environment and the way you had to be and protect yourself when you were a child. So these are all things I know, but uh, it was nice to talk to a, a psychiatrist he did not prescribe medication. I'm going to go see him again. And uh, I, I may or may not go on a low dose of something. I really don't want to. And Reggie Watts and I talk about that on this episode about like microdosing mushrooms and other options. Anyway, so after I left the psychiatrist's office, um, I met up with my friend Eric and he is lovely. He is, uh, he is uh, I feel like he's my big brother. He's my new spirit guide, healer, uh, friend guru. But uh, relax, I'm not putting him on a pedestal. He just helped me out. But uh, we met we met up and, uh, and he's a Buddhist. And he was like, have you ever chanted before? And I was like, no, I have not. And, uh, but I, you know, I'm totally open to it because I do feel like the entire reason for being alive is we are, I'm a searcher. And I, I, I hope, and maybe you out there listening, we're on this journey to figure out what we love doing, to make a living doing what we love. Hopefully it's all to help people and for, you know, clarity and, uh, and what is the word? Um, just, I don't know, to evolve and to reach your full potential. And uh, what do they say in Buddhism? I don't know. I'm going to actually look at this thing right now. What does it say? Ooh. Um, hmm. Oh, enlightenment. To reach enlightenment. Anyway, so um, that sounds cool. I know there's a fight going on outside my street. That's cool. <laughs> they're not enlightened. Anyway, but, uh, but they're on their way. Okay. None of this is a mistake. None of this is an accident. All right. So I went over to his, his house yesterday. And we talked for a long time and it was really beautiful and wonderful. And it was like, uh, and then we chanted, he lit a candle, he lit incense. He showed me like the chant, which is like Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Uh, and we just did that over and over and over and over again. It was kind of sweet and we were harmonizing. And I was like looking at this like Buddhist scripture of, of an enlightened person or something. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have it down. I'm not a Buddhist yet, but uh, we did this for a half hour. And, I'm, and you know what? I was like sweating. I was lightheaded. I was dizzy. And afterwards, I, I had walked into his house um, just kind of like very in a loop I don't know if you guys ever get in a loop mentality way of thinking where you just like you're you're stuck. You're stuck, you're worrying. You're whether it be and I'm not saying this is me, I'm just putting this out there because everybody's so concerned about like are you okay? What's going? It's like I'm fine everybody. I'm on my path. I'm doing my thing and I I share all my stuff, but and I I guess I have to be ready for people to like comment on what I'm sharing, but like I'm good. I'm good. I'm not really I'm not inviting advice. I'm just talking about myself. Listen, Maybe it will help you. Maybe it makes you feel less alone. Maybe this is entertaining, whatever. I'm good. But anyway, I got very defensive right there. Oh, whoops. Um, but I walked in there and uh, because I felt like I was in this like kind of vicious cycle of a loop and I was kind of like low energy and just like, really? <laughs> really? Do you hear this? Fuck it. Should I just? <laughs> okay. Thank you. What? 
is this the universe's cruel joke? I'm trying to record a podcast intro. Anyway, I walked in feeling a certain way and, and people can get stuck in these like kind of vicious loop cycles where you're talking to yourself and you're stuck in your head and like, and whether you're insecure or it's fear-based thinking or you're ra- like a rageaholic and you're angry or you want to control people or you're jealous or you're whatever, insecurity, fear, blah, 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 all this stuff. You're, you're like uh, on a low plane. So a low flying disc, a low vibe, a frequency, whatever the word is you want to call it, you're not at your best and, uh, or, or at your full potential. And, and, and I chanted and I couldn't believe it. At the end of like half hour, half hour of chanting, I was, yeah, I was like a little bit lightheaded, dizzy, sweating, um, but I felt so in my body. That was the difference between just straight up meditation where you just sit there and you kind of like focus on whatever and uh, you're like third eye or something and you're quiet and you're trying to like, you know, get a wrangle on your thoughts and like whatever, quiet your mind. Doing the chant got me in my body, kept me focused. My eyes were open looking at this thing. I wasn't thinking. Um, I felt like I, I completely grounded myself. It was so interesting. And I just felt so connected to myself. And all of a sudden it was like that scene in Labyrinth where I was like, you know, or where, uh, you know, what, what's her name? Uh, what's her name? The star of Labyrinth? Young Jennifer. Jennifer. Fuck. Don't tell me. Who cares? She was also in Requiem for a Dream. Anyway, um, that part with Labyrinth at the end where she goes, you have no power over me. You have no power over me. That's where I was at at the end of it. I was like, what? I'm tethered to nothing and no one. I've, I'm tethered to myself. I'm grounded. I feel like I have no power cords connected to anyone else, but me and my purpose and in like just in my own, I don't know, myself. I just felt very rooted and energized and like myself again. And that's how I'm feeling today. So I just wanted to tell you about this little blip of a journey I've been going on. And this has been like something that's been going on for probably like a couple months, maybe three months of like in and out of like just feeling a lot of feelings for whatever reason, you know, like... uh something's in the air, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, whether it be kids being separated from their parents and with all these political issues and people committing suicide and, uh, just getting older and friends and family and being in a new relationship and dealing with childhood issues and, and, uh, being triggered by things and just a, a personal emotional things. It's like, but it's all a good thing. It's all like everybody's a mirror for one another. Um, and I feel kind of like, even though sometimes all this emotional stuff that I'm going through and and maybe probably I assume you might even be going through, even though it's like irritating and difficult and creates suffering and can be very painful, uh, it's all to be used to make you stronger and work through things so you can evolve and grow up and then be like a better version of yourself, like the person you're meant to be that you're, you know, I don't know. I do know. Anyway, so that's, that's my spiel about what's going on. So I just feel really happy to be uh, happy today. And uh, so happy that I got to speak to Reggie Watts because, you know, the best part about my podcast is I get to talk to inspiring, interesting, creative, fascinating people on a weekly basis. And, uh, and it gets me out of my own head, makes me feel less alone. And, uh, you know, yeah. 
So listen, if you like this podcast, here's all the stuff you got to say in a podcast intro. If you like this podcast, if you like the Love Alexi podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment, uh, tell all your friends, tell everybody at Starbucks or Starbucks Reserve, wherever you go. Um, oh my God. And if you haven't seen the Mr. Rogers documentary, please run, don't walk. That had nothing to do with like, uh, you know, following my podcast on Instagram on, uh <laughs> subscribing on iTunes, but it just came to me. Oh my God. That documentary. What is it called? Won't you be my neighbor? Or it's a beautiful, whatever. See the Mr. Rogers documentary. It's beautiful. It's all about wanting to connect and feeling enough and, uh, you know, permission to exist and connect with people and be loved and looking for love and feeling worthy of love. Oh my God. And Mr. Rogers, so kind. It's so it's such an amazing thing to know that somebody was just so pure of heart and really cared about people. He was just like such like a magical being. Anyway, um, back to the podcast stuff, the podcast fodder. Um, yeah, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show. Let's definitely be friends on Instagram because now that I'm all perked up, I've got a lot of things to Insta story about. Um, follow me on Instagram at Alexi Wasser as well as Twitter at Alexi Wasser. And um, if you're interested in booking a big sister session so I can uh, talk to you, listen to you, and give you helpful tools to make you feel better and feel less alone. All you know, tools that I've tried and used that completely work for me or my friends or all the things that I've learned. Um, that would be so fun because I've done so many big sister sessions lately, and they're beautiful, cathartic sessions. Um, they're for girls only. Click the link in my bio on Instagram at Alexi Wasser, and uh, I look forward to meeting you and hearing about everything you're going through. There's now a plane going over my house. I don't know what it means. It seems very sexy and James Bond-like. Yeah, I think I've said it all. That's what I'm going through. Reggie Watts is on the podcast. He's a fucking, uh, you know, uh, wizard master, you know, jack of all trades, master of all those trades. So, uh... I'm going to shut the fuck up so you can enjoy my conversation with Reggie Watts. Party time. Oh my goodness. It's all happening. Even though. O-M-S. What's the S? Uh, I don't know. Are you Insta-storying? I was just like. We're just talking about phone etiquette before we started recording. And now you're fucking Insta-storying. I'm just OMSing. Unbelievable. Wait, it says low battery, so I will change the battery. Okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing what I'm saying. Do you have a plug-in for it? Yeah. Wait. Now we are podcasting. We are podcasting. Old Tommy Mics. Oh my God. Okay, so Reggie, thank you for being on my podcast. Very exciting. Thank you. Um, we gotta get that. We gotta make sure that mouth is close to your mic so we don't miss a beat. Okay. Okay, I guess okay, that's got it. Here we go. Oh jeez. I don't know why I'm speaking so softly. Like as I get closer to the mic. It's probably my mic training. Mm-hmm. Close to the mic, less loud. Yeah. Further away from the mic, more loud. It seems like you're getting quieter. I'm talking like this. Yeah. You know, because also it's directional, so you don't want to be off axis. See if I'm doing this. Uh oh. Hey, what's going on? 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 Reggie, don't do it. See? Oh, okay, jeez. I just want to make sure they get you know, your voice. It's a priceless, <clears throat> priceless voice. Everything's happening. Okay, so Reggie and I just had. We really just had the podcast, really. I mean, what we just talked about before recording was gold. Yeah. 
And now, and now here's what we're going to give you guys. Okay. You know, bare minimum. Yep. Just the least. That's, that's what this podcast, this particular podcast is about. Just, uh, you know, bare bones. We'll take what we can get from Reggie Watts today. Thank you. Um, okay. But do tell me, okay. Cause I do want to talk about how, by the way, you you have Reggie has a recording studio. I'm actually on location. I'm never usually on location. Here I am now. Uh, you know. Yeah. You have a separate recording studio. Let's just give out the address. Yeah. Okay. So the address is 6552 Fensington Avenue. Mm-hmm. So check it out, guys. I love this neighborhood. Google it's it. so good. Quinston Hills. Oh, boy. Oh, Jesus. So, this sounds fancy. I know. Um, but uh, all right. So let's get grounded in our truth. Okay. We were talking about me considering taking antidepressants, mm-hmm. and then you had... Don't look at my notes. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not, I'm okay, good. Be, I'm, I don't know what I'm looking at. What I'm are you just, looking at? I'm just listening. All I'm right. Look, I'm looking. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, and I was saying I'm considering taking antidepressants, and then you're, you are not a fan. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. Do we have to believe that? Is that like, oh my God, no. Reggie will... <laughs> no, I don't want to be like... Cause I could, no, I could no, no. see people going like, how dare you? I oh, have yeah. to live with... You know, um, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's no. not the intent. S- strike that. But what, what did you suggest? Because this is very exciting. And I want to make sure I record your suggestion yeah. so I can go forth and, and try. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 I've just heard that people have a good, have had good success uh, microdosing with uh, psychedelics, uh, chiefly mushrooms, sometimes LSD, but I, I kind of like mushrooms because they're just a little bit more of the earth. You mm-hmm. know, they just grow out of the ground. You can pick them, dry them and shred them up. But um, yeah, so, uh, yeah. so, but microdosing with uh, mushrooms is kind of, is, is, I, you know, I met this, uh, Family came to the Late Late Show, and their son, um, who I don't I don't think he was there, but um, they said he had PTSD from being in the war, from being in um, uh, Iraq, and um, or sorry Afghanistan, and uh, the, you know they were considering putting him on some pretty heavy antidepressants and things like that, and then he started he got onto this he got onto this program um, to. Um, uh, work with psychotropics like microdosing mushrooms and things like that. And he says, and the family was like, it's just night and day. It's amazing. It is. His anxiety went away. His PTSD is like, I mean, he still goes to counseling. This is with, you know, going to a psychologist and, you know, um, but this is kind of a severe case. You know, PTSD is just things, things you can't get out of your, your head. Um, sorry, there's people watering things outside. That's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so I don't know. I just, I just find like, it's kind of like a, not it a pretty, what do you call it? Benign. Uh, the word? Benign. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a ben- benign. Yeah. It's like, or like, less intense, scary yeah. thing than antidepressants going right for those. Right? Yeah. It's not like you're taking some heavy, you know, synthetic, uh, drug or something like that to kind of like experiment with your own psychology, you know, yeah. like without the guidance of, you know, a psychiatrist to prescribe you something, but it's more like, it's, this is kind of like a, a grounded method that you can use and there's plenty of uh literature online about it and uh it's pretty fantastic i I mean the results can be very fantastic it's not for everyone it's not for everybody but but i think if you're not suffering from something really debilitating it's worth giving a try before medication yeah because i was thinking about taking like a low dose of something for two months whatever that might be after i talked to a psychiatrist just to get out of this like loop in my brain or whatever yeah there's that there's that but yeah i'm i am introduced uh Interested in microdosing and uh, wait. So then, in the ketamine, like, is that, yeah. I know Neil Neil Brennan did this thing where he got like intravenous. How do you say yeah. it? intravenous? 
Yeah, like medical grade ketamine. Yeah. yeah. Timothy Leary wrote a, a lot about it too. And Have it you done like that? Not, I haven't done the um, intravenous, or not intravenous, or just a shot, mm-hmm. you know, a subdermal shot. I haven't done that before, but. Um, <clears throat> I have taken the powder form and it was pharmaceutical grade and it was, I mean, amazing. It was? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's classified as a dissociative. Um, the experience is disassociative. So uh, it really gives you this objectivity, but it's like, I call it like pragmatic objectivity. Pragmatic objectivity. Yeah. Because I've, I snorted ketamine one mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I think I was already tipsy. Yeah. I was tipsy with a friend. Yeah. And I did two, uh, I don't know. Bumps. Oh, God, I yeah. feel disgusting. Oh, yeah, you did some bumps. <laughs> yep. Two lines or bumps or what have you of ketamine, you know, uh, maybe it's funny. Two doses. Okay, two doses. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. I'm a lady. How yeah. dare you? Oh, oh God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, and it didn't make me feel anything. I mean, it gave me a headache and it, you know, I don't know, it just gave me a headache for days mm-hmm. and I just felt like grumpy, but maybe I was tipsy, so it did, I didn't get the full effect of. Yeah, the alcohol thing, like I've. I find that with drugs, it's just better to take just take that one drug. Yes, I like your style. You yeah, know, it's just it's cleaner, clearer. You and know, under control. You know what I'm saying? It's like you know what it is because otherwise you're like, I think I, I think I felt it. You know? Yeah. It's like alcohol is kind of like eh, I don't really drink alcohol. You don't? So no, I, I think it's kind of an inefficient drug. Yeah. But, but um, aside from culinary, like you know, tasting it with a food, like a wine pairing or something mm-hmm. like that, or like after work, have a glass of wine. It's fine. Do you really? Shards. No, I don't. Okay. Do that. I'm just saying I understand alcohol in that context. But when people are like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out tonight and get drunk," like, yeah. I don't really understand that because yeah. I'm, I want expansive experiences. I don't want um, depressive experiences. You're so right. Alcohol is a depressant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you don't remember stuff, but people really pride themselves on that. Like, oh man, I got so drunk. I couldn't remember what I did last night. And everyone's like, yeah, right. Ugh. Like that's amazing. Who are these people? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to know these once people. in a while, cause it's basically, it's a survival story, right? That's yeah. all it is. It's like, I survived it. Yeah. I survived the I blackout. I went through a lot and I survived it, you know? And you're like, whoa, that's great. As opposed to, you know what I learned about myself? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting thing about the universe. Like I'm more interested in that. You, how many times have you done DMT? I've I've only kind of half done DMT twice. Cause oh, really? Because you're supposed to like smoke it twice. You're supposed to smoke like one hit and then you start to feel really high and then you immediately take another hit to kind of complete it, to push yourself through to the highest plateau. Mm-hmm. And I chickened out both times. What do you mean? You did one hit? I just only did one hit. Both times? Yeah, both times. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. Why? What happened? What did you notice? It's just too acrid. The smoke, is, it just smells like you're in, I mean, taste. It's real. First of all, it's like really thick uh, smoke. Yeah. Like a really thick white smoke. It's very acrid, and it tastes like like seven industrialized nations. That's Brillo pad. <laughs> like it's the grossest shit that's, you could imagine. That's weird because I love the smell of it. I thought it was so highbrow and interesting. Well, I you was might like, have taken it with a better apparatus. I was like, there was like a little piece of Brillo pad on the, you know, on and a glass pipe. Oh, so there was like literally Brillo pad involved. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, what's Brillo pad? Yeah, or you know, or whatever they they make those things also for like dabs. Like when you do dabs, yeah. there's like this like little um, I forget what they call it. It's like a it's like a it's like a metal mesh pellet. Yeah. That you kind of stick on the bottom of the bowl so that it like has a surface to rest on, but it's still porous. Okay. But it also heats up really hot so it can burn it because they have a high burning temperature for those types of drugs. And I just find it just, it's just too much. Yeah. But I have heard of people using electric dabbers for it. Electric dabbers? Yeah, That's with the ceramic name of our band. Chambers. So that would be, 
if I were to do it, maybe I would try it again. But it's like going zero to peaking on acid in three seconds. With the DMT? Yeah. And using the electric dapper? I mean, any, 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 any just, DMT. Just having it, yeah. Oh, wow. I it, mean, if you're smoking it. What did you notice when you did DMT? When, I mean, nothing? I mean, I mean, no. It was like real. I got really high and I felt like this kind of like almost like an immediate insect... Uh, insect intelligence, you kind of an did. alien insect intelligence that was like surrounding me, um, and uh, and that was amazing. I mean, it was like super interstellar, like super deep, like hyper consciousness, like insect intelligence, like collective hive mind intelligence, and that was incredible. But it was also kind of scary, and that's probably why I didn't want to take the second hit. Yeah, um, but it was a presence that I felt, and I kind of realized, oh, maybe this presence is our collective consciousness, you know, that's always around us, but, you know, certain drugs will reveal it to us. Um, and sometimes we experience it through near death experiences or meditation or, um, you know, or just laughing your ass off and like feeling super interconnected with everything while you're like in that epiphany moment of laughter. Yeah. Like it's, it's everywhere constantly, but in that context, it's just like, you know, like this kind of alien like vibrating intelligence around you just kind of like i'm observing you but i'm also a part of you yeah that's exactly the sound i heard when i did it i've really? done it i've done it twice and the first time i did like i kept going back to it more than three times yeah because oh, okay. it was so quick but i don't i didn't experience the thing that everybody's like oh you're gonna you cross over and blah blah yeah, i don't so know fire dancers and women I, dancing I, fire. I don't know i didn't see them but okay. uh and then yeah the second time i did it i don't know how many times i, I thought i think i did it three times again but then i just saw like like what, what is it, a mahjong tiles? But it looked oh. like it was been a, with a Miley yeah. Cyrus Wayne Coyne vibe or something, yeah. and and very like that sound that you just made where it's yeah, yes, that's yeah. and, and uh, like you could hear a pin drop, yeah, and like you're in a in like a tunnel or something, a concrete room, and and you could hear footsteps on concrete or yes. something like that. Anyway, uh, yes, yeah, that's that's part of it, yeah, for sure. And you do feel like you're not alone. Well, it was just interesting. You're making me want to do DMT because, uh, and I will start asking you about you in a second. But, uh, <laughs> but when you're talking about collective consciousness, and before we started recording, I was talking about being trapped in my head and, and being in relationships and having being able to talk to other people. It's so much easier to talk to other people than the person you're in a relationship with when you're going yes. through something. Mm-hmm. And just whatever me being trapped in my head. To, to mention the collective consciousness makes me feel so much less alone. To be to be reminded of that there's a collective like what is the collective consciousness? What is that? Tell me, <laughs> well, teach me, make me feel less alone in my life. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a ditch sometimes. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think of it as like, uh, you know, someone. I could be wrong, and maybe someone will on here will correct us in the comments. But uh, as far as I understood, old holographic plates. Um, like where they would, you know, print a hologram, um, like, you know, in the seventies or whatever, when you see these, like, especially if you go to the museum of Jurassic technology in LA, um, on the edge of, I guess it's Santa Monica ish. Um, when you go in there, their top kind of tea room room, which is I think on the third floor there, they have a, like old school holographic prints and they're amazing looking cause they, they really do look like a three-dimensional object behind a window. It's really beautiful. And they're yeah. golden with like slightly blue and red sheens. Anyways, point is, uh, so someone said that if you take those old school style holographic plates and you were to break one in half and um, maybe into some smaller pieces, when you looked at the piece, when you picked up just one small fragment and you looked in it, you would see the whole hologram inside of it. So 
somehow the way that it's printed and the way that the hologram works, um, it is kind of like a, yeah, it still contains, the point is it's a great analogy because it's like you have this hole, right, which could symbolize like all of humanity. And then if you break, if you shattered humanity into millions and millions and billions of pieces, you have all the appearance of all these like separate broken shards and different sizes and so forth of uh, pieces. But every person contains the same whole. Yeah. And so the the challenge of the, the game of life, in essence, to me, is trying to find the commonality, find that essence within yourself, and then to start recognize that in everyone, even despite their actions, despite their um, shortcomings or their successes or whatever, to just realize that we're all interconnected and yeah. that we're, our intelligences are distributed differently and our talents are distributed differently, differently, our psychology and self-awareness is all distributed differently, but we all possess that same amount of potential. Yeah. Um, and so... That's to me the collective consciousness. It's like you are you, but you're also the essence of all of human consciousness, and like each one of us. And mm-hmm. so that's that's my rough belief based on a bunch of different things that I've thought about or read read and so forth. But I, I do that because uh, I I can get in my head and I can feel like I'm pretty alone. alone. You can, you can. Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah. And how do you get out? I mean. By talking with people and forming real relationships with people and being vulnerable with people, not trying to control your reality and like curate the reality. You know, like I, I sometimes will just be kind of reclusive for a while and not talk to people and, uh, you know, or just keep, not even not talk to people, just keeping people at a distance and, and knowing it and feeling it and then also feeling lonely from it because I'm like, well, I'm not really letting anybody in and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm having real conversations with people and I you know I don't even I think about it and I I think do I have any best friends you know I don't really have any you don't not really any best friends I have good friends I have friends that I can talk to who truly like I'm starting to open up to that more and to be more vulnerable and those people are starting to emerge as better friends you know um and I like that and even in my relationship now it's all about communication and being vulnerable and talking about things um, in the moment when I'm feeling them instead of storing them, and uh, so in that way, I'm starting. To, I feel like I'm starting to feel a little bit more connected to life and less alone. Yeah, but that's to me collective consciousness is, is kind of that. It's like all of us generating this reality collectively. And do you think people will use each other as mirrors? Oh man, all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's what it is, right? It's yeah. Like everybody's projecting. We're we're co-projecting and co-reflecting. How does that work? <laughs> Tell me all these things. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's like it's like I think of like think of people that like friends that have that get into trouble a lot, you know, or that they they just seem to be surrounded by shitty people, and um, it's like those people are reinforcing the weak traits and the non-optimal traits in a person in themselves. Yeah, in themselves. Yeah. So so what they're projecting and what they're getting back is a distorted reflection. So if I have a friend who's always getting arrested. I'm projecting the worst traits of myself. Well, not not that they're getting arrested. It's like what they're doing to you, how they're affecting you. Okay. Right? So if like if them getting arrested starts dragging your spirits down and it happens uh, you know, consistently. Yeah. Um and you're like, you know what, this is this is taking a toll on my psyche or whatever, then that's not a good force in your life. And you may have to walk 
back away from that person or to put them at a distance a little bit and just say like, hey, I love you, I'm here to support you, but I can't get involved in your stuff yeah, because it's it's starting to affect me and I don't really have that problem. That's not my problem, ultimately. And so who you surround yourself with, it's like you want what I like to call clean mirrors. Clean mirrors. Clean mirrors are your, are your default and then you want clean mirrors, mirrors plus. What? This is incredible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what are clean mirrors? And what are the clean mirrors plus? Well, clean mirrors is like, you know, if you have a really good friend that always like tells you how it is when you're, when you're speaking and you feel like you can kind of relax and open up and like have a good, clean conversation, that's like, that's a person that's like a clean, they're giving you a clean reflection of yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's really important in having conversations because obviously you want to feel like you're, you're seeing yourself to a certain extent. When you're speaking, you want to see yourself a little bit. Yeah. And then the plus part is just them giving you energy in addition to that. So those are like really like dear friends that are, have been there for you, like when terrible things have happened. Um, and sometimes, you know, those friendships change, the quality of friendships oscillate, you know. But in general, if you have a few of those friends, if you have three of those friends, that's, that's you've got a rich life, you know. Oh my God. Yeah. I forgot that it might, my goal of mine is to be only to be surrounded by people. That I feel inspired by. Yeah, there you go. I think it's still like that, but I I forget. That was like a I used to tell myself do something that scares you every single day, <laughs> and also like make sure all your friends are people who inspire you. Yeah. How did you get this way? How did you uh, How did you become this you? How did it happen? I have no idea, man. Uh, tell me. I don't know. I was, I was drinking lots of Jack Daniels, and one night I just stopped and I looked up the stars. And, no, uh, I don't know. I just I've I've always been. I don't know. I've, I've always been interested in people and um, being com- empathetic and trying to be compassionate, you know, and try to leave places better than how I found them, you know, be thoughtful and things like that. Just having manners, you know, yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I've definitely done a lot of stupid shit and like not treated people, you know, the best that they could have or like strangers, you know, may have, may have like. Uh, I may have reacted not very well to situations, but um, what's that all about? I want to hear, about that? That? I want to hear that story. What's that? No, okay, anyway, just like, <laughs> it's just authority. It's just authority figures, like yeah. like bouncers or like you know someone who's like guarding a gate, a gatekeeper, a gatekeeper. Yeah, like a guard. Yeah, like sometimes when they're like being, they're not. I'm like, I'm supposed to be here, but they're like, no, I don't have any proof of that. And you're like, well, let me try to result. And if they're being unreasonable and they're not critically thinking. Then I get, I can get really like, kind of snotty. Yeah, it sucks, and I hate the. Uh, it makes me feel so gross. Were you like, what was little Reggie like? Like, what, what? Tell me about your parents, and like, were you? Are you an only child? Yeah, you're an only child. Mm-hmm. Something must shape your brain and how you are, and you can probably just entertain yourself for hours, right? Totally. That's yeah, right. yeah. I had, I had to, yeah, be by myself a lot. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I hung out by myself, watched. PBS and played Legos and built models and you know had some had best friends here and there and we play Star Wars and whatever. Where were you born though? What what are your parents like? Well, I was born in Stuttgart in Germany, and then uh, my dad was stationed there, and and then uh, we moved to I think Spain and Italy. When you're how old? Like, this is like. Two and three. Two and like three. That. So you don't speak German. I don't normally. speak German. At this is. All. I feel like it's warm in here, which I like. Yeah. But if you get too warm, you turn on the, on oh, the okay. air conditioner. But I feel like it's gonna get. It's like. It's like. 
you're in an interrogation room and I'm like, what was little Reggie like? (laughs) (laughs) So the the vibe of this podcast all of a sudden got so serious. It's very serious. Tell tell me of your, who did you first encounter? Um, Yeah. No, uh, yeah, we just moved around to two, three. And then when I was four, we got stationed in Montana. Yeah. In Great Falls, Montana. And And my mom's French. And so I grew up speaking French and... English, a little bit of Spanish, but I don't really speak Spanish. Um, yeah, but my dad was in the Air Force. My mom was, my mom, she got, she's a hard worker, so she'd get jobs wherever we were at. Um, Doing what? Just Well, she worked, I think in Cleveland, Ohio, she worked at some weird woman's clothing shop or something like that. <laughs> um, but uh, in Montana, she was a house cleaner. Yeah. Well, she worked for Avon. For a while, she oh, sold Avon. She did. Yeah, she sold a- Avon for a little bit, and then uh, then became a base housing contractor, which essentially is a house cleaner for the military base, the Air Force base. And she sold your dad, or did they split yeah. up? Oh, yeah. Oh wow. We've always been together. They've yeah. always been well, together. Well, he, he died twelve, thirteen years ago, but oh. yeah, always been together. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's what she did. My dad was in the Air Force, and then he retired and had a bunch of jobs like. Um, you know, like Seven Eleven, um, uh, the Broaster, this chicken restaurant. The Broaster. Yeah, the That's Broaster. The Broaster. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean something different nowadays, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, just kind of like, kind of working class parents working hard. Yeah. So, did you feel like an outsider or a loner? Or you just were like, were you ever like, I like, were you like as a kid? And you know, I imagine you'd, you'd be like, I gotta get, I gotta get out of Montana. I got to get out of Montana. Yeah. Uh, what did it feel like? Like, when did you know? Um, I guess. Yeah. When did I? I mean, I guess. Yeah, I was in Montana till I was about eighteen, and, uh, and then I moved to Seattle. So I just knew I had to get out of there. But some of it was because, um, I. It just kind of was kind of getting a little darker, like towards the end of Montana, like high school, because I was like hanging out with my friends, and we would like <clears throat> we would like there would be cars that would be unlocked in parking lots, and we would like if they were unlocked, we'd open up and steal all the change, you know, so yeah. like steal change, meet up at night at like some coffee shop, all night coffee shop, and like pour out all of our earnings for the night, and like you know buy coffee and play cards, and you know. Always had knives and shit, you know. And we never did anything violent, but we just it just got kind of like a little bit too goth, dark. Were you goth? Kind of. Oh, how cool! Partially. Yeah, yeah. And it just got too dark, and I was like, I can't, I can't stay here. This is not, this isn't good. So, yeah. So, were you singing? Or were you in bands when you were eighteen? Or like, when did you? I know what you, what your gift was. Yeah, good, good, good question. Um, I mean, I was I, I started piano lessons when I was five, and then um, yeah, piano lessons at five, and then I took violin lessons uh, in the school system when I was eight. I think started it when I was eight, and um, oh no, when I was ten, it must have been ten. And then uh, I, I did that for six years, and I was in school orchestras. And I always sang just on my own, like mimicking singers and like hanging out and, um, you know, with friends and kind of like doing impressions and stuff like that of Michael Jackson and whatever. Yeah. Um, so I always sang, but I, I didn't sing like formally, formally 
until like I, I was in choir. I mean, you'd sing for like school performances and stuff like that. But uh, I was in choir for a little bit, and then I was in a band when I was like sixteen. What kind of band? Goth band? Not goth. It was just kind of like a rock band. But we did. We were like influenced by like Echo and the Bunnymen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who else? Uh, you know, I'm on uh, a beanbag chair. This, you can hear it. Smiths. <laughs> oh, the Cure. Smiths. Yeah. Um, mm, you know, some other uh, maybe in li- or living color <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, the band. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, it, it was fun. It was fun to be in this band, and uh, you know, me playing synth and synth synth bass and singing at the same time, a drummer, guitar player, and, uh, and this other guitar player, and it was. It was fun. It was really, it was really short lived, but I had a band. You in high had school, a band. So that Did was you have great. a girlfriend? Did you have a? Mm, I had a girlfriend for a little bit. This English, what um, woman? English woman. Joanne yeah. in high school. Yeah, Joanne Hyde. Because there's the Air Force bases there, so you'd get a lot of kids with oh. like foreign parents. Yeah, um, that would be there, and sometimes you know someone would get married, and they already had kids. You know, in, in this case. Joanne and her sister Lucy, they were born in UK and grew up in the UK until they were like 14 and then moved to the Great Falls, Montana. And it was just like these two sisters, but she was a lingerie model. What? At 16? Yeah. How sexy. Yeah. It was crazy. So she had these like pictures of her like walking like in a fashion show or whatever in like lingerie, kind of like rubber mini skirts and stuff. Jesus. Yeah. She was super like ridiculous, like really beautiful. Really awesome, but that was the only girlfriend I had in high school. Yeah, so you moved to Seattle. You're living your life. I want to take us up to now. Uh-huh. I want to like for all the people listening who are like, "Holy shit, Reggie Watts! My God, my hero!" Here's a Listerine mint strip too, if you oh, want. Oh, Listerines. It is. I'm addicted to these Listerine. things. Listerine. Listerine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like you're in Seattle. How like what's happening there? Because like, how did you? I just. I want, you know, it's a mm-hmm. love letter to you. Mm-hmm. It's just this, uh, mm-hmm. Wake up, wake up. <laughs> huh? what? What's going on? What are you doing? Um, no, yeah, I moved to Seattle. It was, would have been 1990. Um, and uh, I was a big fan of Soundgarden. And so that was one of the reasons why I moved there. I was like, oh, there seems to be some cool music scene happening there. Yeah. So I moved to Seattle in 1990, went to the Art Institute, got accepted into the Art Institute of Seattle oh, wow. for audio engineering. Mm-hmm. And... Learned about audio engineering, um, and uh, <gasps> I just wonder what they're doing out there. What are they doing out there? I don't even hear it. Wait. Uh, I don't know. It's Maybe. like it's loud. Not a. It leaf. sounds like sanding or it's not a sawing leaf blower, or yeah. something. I don't know. Anyways, I, don't, okay. I think we're picking it up. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I got accepted in the art institute. Art Institute of Seattle for audio engineering, and yeah. um, just went there for like I wasn't I wasn't a very good student, you know, towards the end of like high school, and especially for Art Institute of Seattle. So I uh, only was in school for maybe four months, five months, and then I kind of dropped out. But I met all these really amazing people, including my girlfriend, um, my second girlfriend uh, there, and uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a blast, like, you know, meeting, like, my, my friend Chuck, who was a drummer, and um, Don Spilker, this guitar player that was living with Chuck, that grew up with Chuck in Spokane, and uh, who's, like, an insane guitar player, like a sick, awesome jazz guy that could also play rock. And then, 
Yeah, and I met like my friend Dean Kunter, who was like a kind of a uh, carpenter guy yeah. that was also taking audio. I, no, he wasn't. Yeah, he was taking audio engineering classes too. But Dean was just like a weird kind of kind of gremlin kind of guy, kind of ogre gremlin kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, but an amazing woodworker and uh, loved weed, and so we kind of commiserated over that. Yeah. And so it, when I first moved there, it was that, and there, you know, Seattle was tiny. There was it wasn't all this like crazy fucking. Um, it just it just wasn't. It's, I mean, now you go to Seattle, it's nothing. Yeah, you, there'll be small pockets. Like if you're with someone who was there in the early days, they could take you to specific places and go. This is kind of what Seattle felt like. Yeah, um, there's some nooks and crannies, but man, it was you know it was just a tiny town. It was like probably you know a fifth the size of it uh, as it is now. And, you know, at night there was nobody around, so you could just walk around. You had, like, the whole town to yourself, and there was only two places to play music, listen to music. You know, there were a couple gay clubs in Capitol Hill, you know, but it was really quiet. So, you know, so when I was hanging out with my friends, it was kind of a introspective, rainy yeah. kind of place. And then, you know, there were bands like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Nirvana came out, and there was, like, this music scene. Modest Mouse. Uh, Modest Mouse was Portland or no Olympia, maybe Olympia or Portland. I know I forget Modest Mouse. I'm not sure, but yeah, there was some. There's L7 as well, and uh, yeah, it's Kill Rock Stars from Olympia, that crew, and then Portland, Oregon, and Seattle was just cranking out amazing shit. And uh, so, you know, so I was around then, and I was playing in. I was playing some bands. What Uh, were the names of the bands? One of the bands was uh, Ironing Pants, definitely. Really? Yeah, IPD. Okay. They're kind of like an absurdist kind of funk-oriented band. So um, uh, the bass player played like Flea, like from Red Hot Chili Peppers. He was an amazing slap bass player. Yeah. Um, Popping, slapping guy. Um, He was a monster. And uh, yeah, he was great. And then it was like this kind of absurd uh, singer that kind of talked kind of sang like this a little bit and he talked kind of like this and uh, kind of like Bootsy Collins but it kind of looked like Malcolm X a little yeah. bit and uh, yeah and then this drummer Terry this bald guy really badass drummer um, and uh, yeah the bass player uh, was named Preston Singletary who's now like a premium glass blower artist what a premium glass yeah, blower like he's a badass glass blowing artist he studied like with some of the masters in Venice how long were you in Seattle for, and when did you get to L.A.? Um, I got, so I was in Seattle till 2003. Okay. And I played millions and millions of bands, um, did sketch comedy there. Is that when you started doing sketch comedy? Yeah, there, I did sketch comedy there, yeah. Were you there. doing stand-up, too? I wasn't doing stand-up, per se. I was, uh, towards the later 1990s, I would I would play at piano bars and kind of fill in... Um, like fill fill time in between bands, like on the piano, and I would just like make up songs, you know, and yeah. like talk a bunch of nonsense to the audience. And then I started using my looping pedal because I was using that in my band Mock Tube at the time, and I was using it as a kind of like a scratch pad. So I would like beatbox ideas, and like that would loop, and then the band would start playing, and then I would like you know take the sam- the looper out, and then like we'd build songs that way. So that's when it started. When that's you started when it started. Okay. Ninety six, ninety seven. When did you even know you were good at beatboxing? How did that happen? What, what, what did you do? I don't what? know. I don't know when that happened. I mean, it could have been like the Fat Boy, you know, Fat Boy days, like nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty five. But um, I definitely had 
an affinity for, you know, Michael Winslow from Police Academy movies. Mm-hmm. He made like all the sound effects with his mouth. Oh, yeah. That um, was an inspiration? Yeah, oh, a huge you just, inspiration. You would copy him? Yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily copy him. Not copy. I would, I would copy. try. Well, yeah, no, but some some of it was copy, you know, like uh, some of it was copying, you know, because you're like young and you like kind yeah. of copy it, but you kind of make it your own a little bit. And that's where it starts. Um, but Michael Winslow, it's like all oh, the sounds he was making, the laser sounds, the explosions, the machinery sounds, or like he did this one thing where he, 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 he made it, uh, sound like what it sounds like when you're on a train walking between cars. Oh my God. How, like the door opens up and it gets really, really loud and you can hear like the tracks, you know, like the, the, and then like, and then the door, then opening the the next door and then that door closing and then immediately getting super soft and quiet again. So he would do these really amazing, intricate, beautiful, virtuosic like simulations of the world, machines and things like that. And and, and people too. Like he loved Jimi Hendrix, so he would do that. So I was definitely inspired by that. But he uh, yeah, so I would have I would have been doing sound effects and mouth sound effects and rhythmic stuff since probably the eighties. But yeah. I didn't I never really considered myself a beatboxer per se, more like a a vocalist that can also do percussive things as well. Yeah. I'm just interested in how like <clears throat> you brought it all together where it's like music, comedy, looping, sampling, mm-hmm. like freestyle this like flow that you get into when you're you know when was the culmination of all that stuff? It's like magic. It's just to watch you. I, you know, you're so brave and yeah, you're just so intuitive and brave that you do that. It's just, how do you get, how did that all come to be? <laughs> like, what was the, like, when did that solidify? Where you're like, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is my <laughs> gift. And this is what, you know. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This mom do. I don't even know how to say that anymore. Um, now, I mean, some of it started in high school. Yeah. To tell you the truth, uh, yeah, like in high school, we had a competitive dra- dramatics program. So you could, uh, I, I, my first year, I did it. I did humor solo, and my teacher just let me, just let me uh, improvise. Really? So, yeah, because usually you're supposed to like learn a script. It's like a ten minute performance, ten or ten to twelve minute performance that you prepare. And then, you know, uh, you know, you rehearse with your team and, you, you know, there's like five categories. So um, you kind of rehearse and give notes and things like that, work on your stuff. And then you go on tour, you know, you get on tour buses and like go to Haver and like these small places at first and then culminating in like the final, you know, the 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 Super Bowl of, of uh, competitive dram- dramatics in Montana would be like Billings West or something like that. Billings West was like the best school uh, for drama in all of Montana. So where they were the ones to beat. But that first year I got third place in a humor solo, just doing solo stuff. And that's kind of, I did impressions, music stuff, like switch channels all the time. It was exactly what I do now for the most part, minus the looping pedal. Minus the looping pedal. Yeah. And you were like 16, 15? Yeah, I was like 15, 16. Oh my God. And, and you like veered from that to go on, but then you came back to that, you know, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I came back to it. Cause I remember like I even went out, I, I entered myself in a stand up contest at um, the Sheraton Hotel in Great Falls in like 1988. <laughs> that sounds great. Something like that, 1988. Yeah, and I, I went out for it, I performed, and I won it. Did you write anything down? Yeah, this you is just... like against like guys who are 30, 30, in their 30s, yeah. you know, or whatever. And I won like 300 bucks. And no, I didn't write anything down. I just improvised. I just kind of did a variation of what I was doing for humor solo. 
which included like you know impressions and musical impressions and sound effects and stuff like that. And um, yeah, they liked they liked me and they. Yeah, I won. So I won 300 bucks, and it was crazy. And then with that, they gave you 300 bucks and also two gigs in the state. And so I got to perform like in, I don't know, Chester, Montana, and like some other place too. I can't remember where else. But uh, yeah, so I did stand-up comedy with like some Native American com- comedians. Okay. Which there's just not enough. Like I wish there were more Native American because this guy was hilarious. <laughs> he was Blackfoot, and he would talk about reservation stuff, you know, browning. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Browning and Rocky Boy are kind of like two notorious um, reservations in Montana, um, but he was from he was from there and and uh, yeah and he would just like had these amazing jokes as a Native American. It was like I loved that perspective. It was just yeah. so cool. And then like just some like Montana because Montana's like mostly white. It's like mostly German, Dutch, um, Irish. Is kind your of is your mom white? Your mom's white. My mom's white. white. Yeah, and she's your dad's French. Black. Yeah, okay. my dad's black. Yeah, from Ohio. Um, Did that cause any kind of uh, weirdness in Montana? Uh, not really. I mean, my mom was more sensitive to that stuff, but, uh, you know, and she would recall or she recants like some problems with neighbors or like neighbors saying things to him or like, you know, so, some neighbors threw some garbage on our lawn and like they knew who did it and the police came and made them clean it up, which was kind of cool if yeah. you think about it back then. Least- um, <laughs> like, that they did that. That was, they did something was, good. Yeah, they did. They weren't they just like, right. oh, you had to deal with it yourself, you know, yeah. get used to it or something like that. Yeah. But, um, Yikes. yeah, so, you know, they were like, they, my mom was like very sensitive to it. And so she would stand up to people a lot and like let them know like what she thought about stuff. So there was that. But thankfully, she was the one kind of doing all that. And I was just like, oh, people are people, whatever. Yeah. You you're know? like living your life. Yeah, yeah. I'm just living my life. And it's like, you know, as long as you're cool to people and, you know, there's usually no problems, but if you lead, if I were to lead with me being perceived as a purely black person, when in actuality I'm exactly half white and half black, yeah. so I never considered myself either, you know, I'm both and neither, you know. Both and neither. Yeah. So it's it's kind of nice. It's a cool position because observationally it like puts me right in the center. Like I can assume this identity or I can assume this identity or I can pull, I can do a synergized version of that. But mostly I just kind of treated people as people. Yeah. And never led with that as a performer. You know, I never never lead with, hey, I'm a black guy performing for you. I mean, I'll sometimes use it. You know, if I go on stage and I'm talking like this, you know, and I'm doing like a set, like kind of like a black comedian, and I'm talking about like all the shit that I talk about, um, I can play off of that because I look, I look, I can look the part, so that's useful to me for sure. But I just, I never lead with like, hey guys, I am a minority, and I'm actually a super minority because <laughs> I'm a mixed race. Uh, person uh, who's exactly half and half, and uh, and let me tell you about my experience. My experience is so much different than yours. Uh, you know, for instance, the way we pick up spoons. <laughs> I mean, that. I mean, come on. No one likes the way black people pick up spoons, and black people don't like the way white people pick up spoons. You know, with the four fingers slightly clutching. The, I, I don't. You know, but I, oh my god, some, some It's just. It's just, it's too, it's too much. To me, it's funny. Yeah. To me, it's funny. So when people are like, you know, white people, you know, as soon as they start doing that, I'm like, you know what? That's been covered already. Oh, God. To a certain extent. Unless it's like really, really important to your identity and you have a, something and you're connected to that and it's, and it's poignant, you know, where, where, where it, I've definitely, you know, it's like I noticed that uh, Aziz Ansari rarely talks about uh, being Tamil. 
Being Tamil? Yeah. What do you mean Tamil? Uh, Tamil, India, you know? Oh, Tamil. Yeah. Okay. So, I've never even heard so that he never, phrase. He never really ta- talks, talks about that. You know, he, d- he doesn't really talk about it too much. He does a bit, but he just is who he is doing his comedy. Yeah. And same thing with uh, Hannibal Burris. It's like he does bring up some racial elements or he talks about like sports sometimes and things like that from a black context, but he doesn't lead with it. And there's, so I've always, thankfully, growing up in Montana, which is also mostly white, it's probably why I feel more comfortable in general with white people. Is this true? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Like, like for me, if I'm, and also there's just not in my communities and what I'm interested in, there aren't a lot of, minorities involved. However, like when I go to Sundance, um, especially for their future storytelling programs or their, you know, uh, next generation storytelling technology stuff or whatever, it's surprisingly black women, like a lot of, like a lot of diversity. And cause for me, it's like my, my thing is I'm more concerned about women being involved in what I do almost more than than color necessarily. I mean, I definitely notice if I'm if I'm picking a crew to work with, I definitely want color in there for sure. I need I need to otherwise it, it feels strange to yeah. me. Um, but I almost before color it's women. So I can't have I can't be involved in a project that is more men. It has to be at least 50/50 women. Why and is that? Because it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like a good balance and I feel like men have had enough time doing their bullshit and they've just not been very good at it. There's plenty of great, amazing men, but, um, for the most part, I just need that other perspective. It's not even an other perspective. It's just a unified, we're all human beings, but, Mm. um, it's just, it's nice to see it represented, you know, because I also weirdly, I think it's because I grew up with my mom mainly. Um, and I just trust women like the sensibilities of women, and there's plenty of terrible women out there. Oh, just so you guys know, there's some really horrible women, <laughs> less than horrible men, but, yeah. but, but it's no, true. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But, but I'm just saying, like, in general, I'm trying to look for balance. Yeah. I mean, the right people, but I want to make an effort to like find those, those people that are underrepresented to be a part of my team. Yeah. But in general, I'm not, I just like to look at people as people and I like to present myself as a person and I don't not, I don't want to lean on stuff too much. Yeah. What was happening at Sundance? What, what do you mean your your Sundance were you working on something at Sundance? Tell me everything. Well Sundance uh we did this uh uh I forget what it's called that they're gonna kill me, but um it was uh basically like a a a program for uh people who applied to be a part of this program, which is kind of like future, future storytelling mediums, you know, like VR, AR, yeah. those types of things. Um, they're developing content for those based off of their personal stories. And so they apply for that. And I can't remember how many got selected, but it's something like, I don't know, 12 people. It could be, they're like, it's 75. I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, I don't know why they sound like that either. But because uh, that's what studious people sound like. Mm-hmm. They sound like this. Um but, yeah, so I went there. I, I was asked there uh, as an advisor. And so uh, advisors are usually in all kinds of technological fields, dealing with storytelling um, or sometimes just user interface or programmers or things like that. And uh, so I was invited there as an artist who's interested in technology. And um, it was amazing. But it, it just it was great to see 
I mean, the diversity and who got chosen for the programs. I mean, it is like, it's mind blowing how diverse that experience was. That's fantastic. Like LGBTQ, um, you know, black, mostly women, like probably 60, 70% women are Mm -hmm. running that entire project. Um, and they've got the full support of Sundance, and arguably it's one of the most important divisions of Sundance. You think so? I think so, because it will have an impact, because these are emerging media. You know, VR, AR, everyone's trying to figure out, how do we make stories for VR and AR? How do you? What do you think about all that? Because you have a whole, I mean, you've got a whole, what do you have? You have a suit? You have a whole thing. You've um, had comedy shows in oh, VR yeah. that yes, I've seen. I have. Yeah. yeah. So what's your take on all that, like augmented reality and, and VR, like you love it? Or what? I do. I do love it. I mean, I'm scared I, of all of it. I mean, the reason why one would be scared of it totally makes sense. It's uh, AR. It, I'm more scared of. I think. But go on. Sorry. Yeah. Well, the problem is that the the hard the hardware isn't quite here yet. Like we don't have as easy as it is to pull out a phone and look at a screen and like immediately start engaging with something. You can't really do that with a VR headset yet. You have to. Start. I mean, if you're using the higher end rigs, which are kind of the better resolution systems, you have to start a computer. Then you have to open a program, and you have to open another program, and you have to make sure that the equipment is synchronized to the or calibrated to the sensors. Um, Maybe you're using Microsoft Mixed Reality, so it tracks itself from inside out. It tracks the room itself, but you're still having to turn on the computer, start the Mixed Reality program. Put on the headset, make sure the straps are adjusted correctly. Maybe it's the, not the right focal length. There's a wire that's hanging down that's going into a computer. So it's still very like, it's not very like, let's jump into this magical experience. Yeah. Unless you go to a VR amusement park or something like I've that. I've been where, to like the IMAX place, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of cool because it's just ready to go. So there's that. But for wide adoption, you need a, you need a piece of hardware that's wireless, high resolution, Easy to get into. You just slip it on and it's ready to go. Yeah. How far are we from that? I'm going to give it like probably like three or four years. Wait, do you do you know Elon Musk personally? Have you met Elon Musk? I haven't met met the Musk. You no. haven't? No. I, I know people that have briefly. Okay. Um, I'm sure I'll run into him, but I have a feeling he probably might not be interested in me. Why would you say that? Why would you ever talk about you like that? <laughs> well... Because oh god, <laughs> because he's on the spectrum. What do you mean? He's like he's a spectrumy person. He's got some form of. Like, Am I on the spectrum? Yeah, like like a, you know autism, you know, like that kind of something. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, you're not? No, I can't believe this, Reggie. I know. Get out of here. People think you know just because you do comedy, mm-hmm. you're a psychologist. Um, but he's on the spectrum. I just mean that he's the type of person that's kind of he's self-involved in a way that um, he can't turn off. Yeah, you know, it's like. If you meet tech entrepreneur, like people who are successful in technology who are entrepreneurs, they are, if, if you ever watch Silicon Valley, yeah, and you know the, the woman who took over from the original boss mm-hmm. of whatever that company that they were working from, the woman that took over, where she's like, yes, but what do you mean by these profit margins? No, this is not a good way to go. Like the way that she is, she's kind of, it's this, I don't know, I wish I had the, I wish I new psychology better to, to kind of like put it into terms, but it's a type of person that's, they're very focused, they're yeah. laser focused on things that need to get done, but they're 
at the at the cost of subtlety, like emotional intelligence, subtlety, yeah, um, around it or empathy, things like that. Not to say that they're not like that they're monsters or anything like that. It's just the way that they operate because they're uh. they have to get things done and they're compelled to do it. It's their natural compulsion. And so it, Elon is like to me because I heard about like you know there was a, a friend who was at a dinner. Elon was sitting right next to him. He tried to have a conversation with Elon by mentioning some things that the people that they might know in common, you know, the traditional stuff. Yeah. And Elon was just like, no, just not, not interested. He didn't say no, but he just wasn't interested and was like talking to some other person, you know, a tech person or whatever. And that person obviously was like, that was very rude. But, and it was, but I also know people like that, just being working in the tech industry and meeting all kinds of brilliant uh, people. Unless you have intrinsic value to the evolution of their um, their projects that they're working on or their goal that they're heading towards, uh, they, you're kind of irrelevant. Oh my God, I wish I could be like that. Yeah, I mean, a little <laughs> bit like that is okay. I mean, it's okay. There's a, there's a happy middle ground, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, I'll entertain this conversation for a little bit, but then I will tell you literally that I have to go yeah. instead of drifting off and yeah. like having you have to guess. Did I insult them? Did I blah, 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 blah? It's like, no, it's like, it's not you, but I have, I have to go right now. Please excuse me. Or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but uh, but it, most of the time, people like that, they're like, I don't, there's, what do we have? Are you helping to solve my problems? Yeah. Is there an opportunity here? And it's not like an opportunity, like a social climbing thing. It's, it's more like just a pragmatic, is there information that can help my progress? Yeah. And if it's not there then not particularly interesting. And there could be exceptions like a pretty woman, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or, um, uh, you know, or an artist that they're super, you know, uh, like fan, fans of or whatever that they'll make, or like it's Stevie Wonder. It's like, oh, I'll, you know, or whatever. Yeah. So there, there are exceptions um, that break through to more like the child, like innocence, you know, that's, that's, that taps into that. Yeah, yes. yeah. So it like triggers that. And for a moment, they're kind of super open and like, oh, yeah, I love your blah, blah, blah. And until they close back down again. And then it just again. goes, and it kind of closes again. Ugh. It's like laser beam. Oh, God. So he strikes me as someone like that. Yeah. I could be completely wrong. But um, uh, so that's why I imagine that if I met him, he'd be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then like moving on. Are you super emotional, do you think? I'm pretty emotional, yeah. Yeah. I mean... I'm trying to become more emotional, emotionally available. Um, you know, I notice that I cry really easily at uh, what I think are pretty insignificant things, but like just small uh, uh, demonstrations of compassion. You know, that someone does for somebody else, or like in a movie when like you know someone makes a realization that someone has like you know that they got they were all wrong about somebody or um someone taking the time to like go back and help somebody or like someone like really really powerful coming to just talk to someone spend a lot of time with someone who's having a really hard time that kind of stuff gets me really emotional just any act of empathy kindness generally because the world is so insane and intense and it is isn't and, it and it seems like everyone's rude and everyone's like and i'm i'm self-absorbed i mean fucking you know i'm sure i'm that guy many times in traffic they're like oh this guy what an asshole i'm sure i'm that guy but yeah. also i try to equally have times where i'm like no please make your way in yeah i'm gonna make space for you oh yeah i'm just gonna do this but i'm gonna consider your feelings you know like yeah i i, I try to be a good person as much as possible and um i 
I, I like it when I just run into a situation where I'm like, oh, that person actually took the time to do the thing right. Or like you see someone in a restaurant like helping to clean, like they clean the bathroom. Like I always clean bathrooms when I go into. Oh, you like pick up the thing off the floor? Yeah, and like, pick me up too. Like, all those paper towels. Yeah. I, put them, I put them in the garbage. Me too. You know, like if the toilet seat is up, I put it down if it's a co-ed bathroom. Yeah. What do people um, pee all over the seat all the time? Yeah, they so, do that oh. and I'll just take a huge wad of me toilet too. paper and I'll like wipe it all off <laughs> and then I'll, you know, throw it away and like make the bathroom look nice and neat, wash my hands Thank really God. well. Okay, good, good, and good. Then get And then get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Because it's like the Boy Scout motto, right? Leave a place better than when you found it. Yeah. So I try to li- lead life that way. And when I see other people doing that, it really makes me yeah. like very emotional. Or if someone's just like really listening, you know, and I'm connecting, you know, or I'm talking about something traumatic and connecting. I can tell that they're really, really listening and then I, I'll break down crying. Is this true? Mm-hmm. This is why I get worried about, uh, about VR and augmented reality, about connection. And then like, I just have this fear of like people in pods, like just like, Almost like they're hooked up to ketamine or something, or not not ketamine, yeah, but they're sure. just like I'm going to like like they're mainstreaming I, a virtual reality. Yeah, it's like I'm trying to have an, an experience. Well, it's like mainlining, like, mainlining a whatever. Yeah. Like, and that just makes me go, well, get out of your house and have the experience. It's free, and you could just I don't know. I know it's completely yeah. different, and I'm all over the place. But wait, I'm going to jump into one thing yeah, really yeah, quick yeah. though. So, connection. We were talking about before before we started recording about. Uh, like kind of like phone etiquette or like phone hygiene esque oh, yes. etiquette. Yes. So what was it you were telling me about? Like when you're on a date or when you're spending time with your girlfriend. Yeah. What is the goal with phones? Because I just I just hate this obsession that we all have with phones. I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. Yeah. There's there is no etiquette. What? You know for for yeah for phone mobile phone usage i'm just saying in general let's create some well that's that's what i'm saying let's like go. We, do, we definitely need to i mean people will create their own etiquette like between their friends or like between their loved one you know they'll say like yeah you know at dinner time no phones we'll just leave our phones mm-hmm. or if there's a meeting you know sometimes companies they'll stack their phones they'll put them in airplane mode and stack their phones up in the middle of the table yeah um uh you know there's those things i, I guess for me it's just you, you got to talk to someone about that. Like if you if someone's on their phone all the time and it really bothers you, just got to talk about it and be like, hey, is it possible that we just don't touch our phones throughout this? We're on a date. Let's not look at our phones at all. Let's just be with each other. Yeah. You know, unless you're like, unless it's part of your lifestyle and you know, or your business or whatever, to like, oh, we're gonna take a picture of ourselves. You know, we're by this fountain and oh, you know, God. it's like, oh, look at this meal that we're having together and look at this funny pencil, you oh, know, or whatever, God. like. You know, and you need to share that, but you're both like agreeing that that's really fun. Yeah, that's totally awesome. That's great. But like for me, I got I almost got into a fight with a dude at Sawyer. Um, I think it's Sawyer or it's the Kettle Black. I think there's like two restaurants that kind of look similar to each other. One's Italian and one's something else. Yeah, I think it was Sawyer though. So I was having dinner at Sawyer with a friend, and um, we were talking. And the couple next to us, this woman, had her phone on the table. And it's like a nice atmosphere in there, like really nice lighting. You know, it's like kind of, it's not like a, it's not like In-N-Out Burger or something like that. But so she had her phone out on the table and it just kept lighting up and she kept like looking at it and then like, and then like turning it off and then looking at it, turning it off. And then, and it was stressing me the fuck out because it's just like two feet away from me. Yeah. And so at a certain point I was like, hey, do you mind just moving your phone um, just so I can't see it. I, I just see the screen or whatever. I, I, it's just, it's really stressing me out. 
And then she she's like, oh, and then she kind of like put her phone. And then it was like cool for a second. And then she like came back. She was obviously stewing on it. And then she came back. I was like, I have a child at home, and I have to and I have to make sure that everything is going on. And my first thought is like, that's not true. Oh God. <laughs> that's like, and and not only that, but if you need to like make sure that your child is okay, like while you're away, it's like just put your phone by your thigh. Yeah. And just put it on silent. And when it vibrates, you know that someone's texting, and you can look at it casually with yeah. the down and just look at it and go, oh, okay, fuck, I need to reply to this. If you need to talk to someone on the phone, you're like, excuse me, and then walk outside. There are certain etiquettes that are just just take other people into consideration. It's it's stuff like that that really I don't want to get bothered about it, but with telecommunications devices, like when I'm walking down the street, I try not to use my phone while I'm walking. Yeah. I try to stop and like lean against a wall or whatever and like do my <laughs> do my text. And, yeah. then, and then finish the text, put it in my t- pocket, and then just continue walking. Um, I mean, you know, movie theaters, you can just see the brightness. I'm oh. like, okay, if you're going to look at your phone, which I wish that you didn't, but yeah. if you're going to look at your phone, turn the screen brightness all the way down. Yeah. Like, I don't understand people looking at super fucking bright screens. So selfish, so unaware. Yeah, they're just like, you know, they could be a great person. It could be a fan. It, has, it says nothing about, like, if they're a nice person or not. And you're not I'm not going like, you're an asshole. It's just more like... What's your awareness level? And it's the culture, the the oh. culture that we perpetuate. There are no rules. There we are, need to make rules. I yes, know. there are no rules. I and, know. And I talked about this with one of my friends, and he was like, "It's like shutting the door when you go to the bathroom. It's like when you're sitting at a table with your friend on or on a, on a date. You don't just because I've been on, in a date situation where the guy takes his phone out mm-hmm. and just I lose him to his phone, and I'm like, yeah. what is this? This is fucking crazy." And I really did appreciate my, my other friend saying like, yeah, it's like etiquette. It's like if you're gonna if you need to take your phone out because you got work or whatever, yeah. you go, hey, I'm 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 gonna take my phone out real quick just because of the work thing. Just like yeah, just to be like you know you cover your mouth when you sneeze when you cough totally. But then there are other aspects of it where it's like, oh god, you know Katow? Mm-mm. Oh god, he's a whatever. Who cares? It doesn't matter. He's a, I thought we were all mutual friends. I thought we were all connected. Is what I thought, but mm-hmm. forget it. But um, well, I was talking to my friend about uh, like phone hygiene as far as like sleepovers and dating and stuff like that where it's like keep your phone he likes to keep his phone in the living room when he goes to sleep yeah and if he has his girlfriend sleeping over he wants her to keep the phone in the living room so that the first thing in the morning and it's not that you it's not that you get up first thing in the morning and then walk into the living room to get to your phone it's that like you wake up you acknowledge each other you kiss you fuck whatever the fuck you do and then you're like I gotta go check on one thing I'm gonna go check like yeah what do you think about that I think it's I think it's great, and it's definitely something I want to implement too. Because there's so many times where I'll like I'll wake up in the night, and I I mean I've done this like early on, like in my last relationship, I would like be on the phone, but like turn to the side, like late, and I'm like I don't want them to discover that I'm on the phone. Yes, no, I'm not doing anything, but I'm like I don't want them to find out. I, you know, screen brightness is down. I'm like shielding it with my hand. Yes, I'm, like, doing whatever. and then like her like going like you know I can tell when you're on, yes! on the phone, and I'm like. Oh fuck! Oh yeah, I guess so. And it's just addictive behavior, you know. And there, in in my current relationship, there's definitely times when I've done that, but I've kind of mellowed a little bit on that. And I'll notice like she's on her phone a lot, but she also doesn't sleep very well, so so she'll you know turn to the phone for you know kind of distraction or whatever. Yeah. But it is a weird thing when you see someone cuz i know i've done it so when i see her on her side i'm like is she looking at her phone right now i can't tell she's looking at her phone right now and it's what a weird unnecessary 
feeling. And, and so that's something like you have to talk about with whoever you're with, whether it's your friends when you go out or yeah. whether it's the person that you sleep with. It's like it's worth talking about because otherwise we just continue doing stuff because we just because we can, which isn't a good reason really. Yeah. And it's almost like escapism. It's, totally. ha- it's habitual. It's just like this bad addictive habit and you're with a person having an in real life experience, but then you're escaping into this alternate universe, this other yeah. world, this portal that takes you to everything. And it's like, it is dangerous. I think it's it dangerous. Is. I think it's rude. I think it's a bad habit. I think it's unconscious behavior. And what do you think? And you know, and I'm guilty of this too. You're on, you're with another person uh, on a date they go to the ladies' room and the men's room, mm-hmm. and then the first thing you do, because they leave, you can't be alone with yourself. Yep. You take your phone out immediately, like mm-hmm. clockwork. You just take the phone out. What is that all about? Yeah, that's something that I, I'm conscious of, and I try not to do it. There's like many times where I'm like, I'm not taking out my phone. Yeah, me I'm too. I'm not going to take out my phone. I'm just going to listen to the sounds of the restaurant, or I'm going to like look around and see what's going on. Or maybe the wait person comes by and they're just, you know, and they can tell like someone's laughed and they're just like, oh yeah, so you guys are here on a, you know, whatever. And you have a conversation with them. Yeah. And that's really cool. Um, I, it's, you know, you really have to be super conscious about it. But lately I've just been like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not bringing my phone in at all. I'm going to leave the phone in the car. Yeah. And put it in the glove box. And, uh, you know, and it, we've yet to implement this, but, you know, I think with her and I, we're going to, just say like, oh, we're going out to dinner. We're going to leave our phones in the glove box. That's so great. Yeah, because it, it can. It's good to condition to recondition yourself or or uncondition yourself um, to the importance. Like like everything is important now. Like every like is important. Every comment is important. Um, if someone posts a new photograph and it's your ex or something like that, that's important. Um, a news flash news headline. It, it like none of this stuff is that important, really. Not even the news stuff. It's yeah. like you could read headlines only once a day and you would be just as informed as someone who's like, i got to read every single article and blah, yeah. blah, 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 and just like go down that rabbit hole of too much information. We just have too much non-essential information that we've prioritized as opposed to just being in life with people. Yeah. Which, you know, I I, I love it sometimes when like, my girlfriend and I are like in the same room and we're kind of like looking at stuff and she's kind of laughing and she's like showing me something. And we take like, we have these media moments. Where, media moments. Which I kind of like because that's a good, that's a bo- weirdly bonding feeling too. But I only want that to be like 30%, 25% of the time. Yeah. Just to be like media realistic. But so, yeah. So it's about like setting new boundaries and, uh, and trying to create new behaviors, which is actually kind of fun. Yeah, it's. I mean, when it's a drug like thing, it's it hurts. It sucks when you're like, I'm not with my phone, or you like go to reach for your phone. Oh, it's not there. It's not. Oh, it's right. I left it in the car. Oh shit. I, oh no, that's right. I left it in the car. And then you start to realize like how that addiction loop is so wired, and everything like the technology is beautiful. It's beautiful that we have these, you know, the portal to all the answers that humankind has ever. Uh, you know, uh, or all the questions and the answers all in one place that we can access at any time we want. And that's really beautiful. But unfortunately, because of monetization and capitalistic, like the system that we're currently in, the motivators behind these technologies are all like addiction based because they need people to be engaged, 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 engaged. And social currency is super, super 
important, like that Black Mirror episode where the, the girl was like, everyone's trading likes, you know, oh, and for, if you start to dip, you know, you can't, you have terrible credit. I got to see that episode. It's, My boyfriend is just telling me about that. I got to see that one. It's yeah. So it's so poignant. It's, yeah. it's really, really beautiful. But technology is also like, it's, it's also has the ability to bring people together um, and to allow people to connect together as long as it gets the fuck out of the way. Yeah. It's like when I'm in Instagram and I see like a stupid motherfucking ad and I like, and now I'm like, as soon as I see sponsored, I'm like, click spam, click spam, click spam. I'm like, that's like another stress level to add yeah. to when I'm like already kind of like, and I'm like, Ooh, I wonder what's, Oh, I wonder what's going on. And there's like this extra stress level and it's monitoring and it's like, you know, saving all these like choices and screen touches and swipes. It's saving all the, Oh, that's oh, yeah. what that's... They reco- yeah, it records yeah. all of that yes, stuff. Yes, yes. I have a lot of app developer friends, and they can just go and look at the log and see how individual people have been interacting with their app, and that gives them data to improve. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, but it's still it's still there, so it's all being recorded, and then, you know, psycho, like like psychologically, it's being woven into how they're going to make it more addictive so that they have more ad revenue as opposed to they are the Netflix model where it's like, well, you subscribe to it and you see as much as you want or you don't look at as much as you want. It's yeah. up to you. I would much rather Instagram be that instead of I don't know why advertising is such a fucking huge deal if they're going to make as much money as they would with subscribers anyways. Yeah. Or at least have two tiers. You know. But what about the psychological? Is there? Do you think there's going to be like a psychological... Uh, uh, effect on p- people in relationships like years from now that we just don't know about where it's like, <laughs> like we and I were talking about before we were recording. It just felt like, you know, uh, I, I get in conversations with this about this all the time with, you know, man I've dated, the man I'm dating. It's just about, and all the girl, I wrote an article about it, about, you know, about, and men do this too, but a lot of women related to this thing that I wrote about how like, if you, if you're dating someone and you text them, they don't text you back, but they, you saw that they liked a thing or posted mm-hmm. a thing on Instagram, all of a sudden, it's like you feel like devalued, taken for granted, ignored, dismissed. But and and people think that's crazy to care. But we but these are this is what it is now. We have uh, you know, and it has psychological effects on people because all this information is at your disposal. And one one choice could be get over it. Who cares? Like be mm-hmm. you know whatever. Or is that part of the Etiquette imposed on social media and phones. It's like I don't understand. There's so much information at our fingertips. It's like I don't know. Yeah, it's irritating. It's it sucks, and it's um, it's you know the future is less is more. The future is less is more. What do you mean? Yeah, the future is like we need less information. Yeah, like like we need. I need to be able to control. Like, there's simple things like on the phone. Like, I should just be able to say, you know what? I only, I only want to hear from my, the five people that I find to be important from today, so that you you're only getting text messages from five people. Yeah, throughout the entire day. And that needs to be super easy to do. Um, you need to be able to have much more control over your privacy and just. Um, and, and there needs to be standards, you know, that people are working on for digital rights. So like you have your human rights and you have your rights as a citizen, um, in the United States, and then you have your kind of world, whoever's participating in that, all the human rights, uh, worldwide. Um, and those all obviously vary in different countries, but there's kind of a basic, a, a base standard for those types of things that needs to happen for, uh, the online, the digital version of yourself. So your digital identity has to have the same rights 
as you do as a human being. And once that starts to get, once that becomes more of a standard, then then you can have more control over. Like I, I just want to, I want to have technology influence and affect me to the level at which I want it to affect me, as opposed to now we're kind of uh, in a way like indentured servants to technology. So in order to look at Instagram, you have to put up with the ads. Um, you have to put up with the spying. You know, what's the, who's what's the spying? Well, the spying is just like you know, like I was saying, all the swipes and taps, and like you know, oh, we're going to formulate the algorithm of the advertising based on you know your interests and blah blah blah. It's like no, it's helpful. It's helpful yeah. to put relevant posts and like newest for. It's like, well, why do I have to type on newest? I just want it chronological when I see the comments. I don't give a fuck about who's more relevant. Oh yeah, I just don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. like Facebook just can't leave good enough alone. Yeah. They have to constantly fuck shit up. So, you know, eventually when we get more rights as individuals and we don't sign them away, you know, with our user licensing agreements that we just kind of like agree to and never read to, read or whatever, we'll be able, it'll be more uniform and and well hopefully we'll get to that point. But the main point is yeah, technology needs to needs to be magical and in service of us uh, as opposed to us constantly, like me complaining to Apple, like, why don't they fix this? Why, when I put it in airplane mode, do I have to turn Bluetooth back on? And then that's the memory of it. Why can I not just be holding Bluetooth when I hit airplane mode and Bluetooth just stays on? Like, why or why can't they fix? Why can't I highlight a specific word in a in, in a text message? Why do I have to highlight the entire text and then put it in the message field? Then highlight the, the piece of information I want. Then erase the information and then use it in wherever else I want. It's like there are all these like dumb things that should be able to be fixed pretty instantaneously if they were to collect the data on, on what people want and what they hate. Yeah. They could actually be making real time adjustments to to make the technology work for us. Yeah. But for whatever fucking reason, these companies are like, it's going to take us, you know half a year or two versions later to be able to solve this. I'm like, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Someone's someone's gonna come out for, you know, with some kind of a thing that'll just be what people actually want. And hopefully these technology companies will listen. And I just want to know why there's the activity section on Instagram. Why are we able to see what everybody else is looking at? I think that's a crazy maker. Yeah, I know. They, they want, they want, you know, and I only discovered that recently because my girlfriend showed me because a, fr- a friend of hers is like super into that shit and like really monitors that shit. And, uh, and she showed it to me and, uh, and I just was like, wow, it's, cra- it's essentially they're forensic tools. So they're giving you these social forensic tools because they know that people want to spy on other people. And um, they're giving them the tools to do that because that's part of the appeal of Instagram. It's like, oh yeah, can I? Let me check out that that girl, and you know. And some people they don't want to turn off their stuff because they get work through Instagram. You know, like if you're, uh, they don't want to turn off what, like get rid of Instagram, like like turn off like the activity tracking or or whatever. You know, because or you know, I'm not a super well versed person on Instagram. I just post my shit and put comments on there, but or read the comments, but um, you know. You can kind of like choose tiers of like how much is visible, or you can turn your account private or whatever. But uh, some people need to leave their accounts open because that's how they make a living, or it's part of the way that they can get a job. Yeah, you know, or get a gig if they're like a model, or they're uh, you know, or they're just a a personality, whatever. Yeah. So, a certain amount of that is, 
is there's just like a realistic business aspect to it. Um, and, and I get that, but, uh, they make it difficult. They don't make it easy, uh, to enjoy. It's hard to like fully enjoy it. Like when Instagram was just Instagram without Facebook, yeah. Facebook coming along. Yes. Um, it was fun. It was like t- Tumblr back in the early days. It was so simple. You scrolled your photos, no yeah. big deal. Now there's all this like added stuff to it. Yeah. These forensic tools. It's a crazy maker. Totally. And there also needs to be a mindfulness attached to that too. And I don't care if people, I think people think I'm crazy that I'm so obsessed about this, but I do think deeply about it. I am in a relationship. I have had conversations about all these things and all, and I talk to so many women and and, and men and they're like, yeah, I look at all that shit because it's there yeah, and it's hard not to. And I do find stuff, you know, where they find stuff or whatever. Sure. And, uh, I don't know all that behavior and balancing all of it. There needs to be, just be like, address it. It's it it is real, and there needs to be like a mindfulness attached to it because it's too hard just to be like, well, don't pay attention. Who cares? Because we're in a new phase of life, and this is the first generation to have all this during yeah. dating. Yeah, this it's is just, this is only like what three years? Yeah, so, let's say. Yeah, but I have a million more things. We had a, we are oh, going to yeah. wrap sure. this up so sure. we don't sure. boil. Are you sure. boiling? Uh, a little bit. We can try turning it on. Let's so turn it on. Turn it on so it's like so at least you got a gentle a gentle breeze. Okay, it's turning on. And the 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 ducts have opened. Oh boy! The fan's about to start. Uh. Turning it to okay. Never mind the beep. Okay. Perfect. What does that sound like? Let it happen. As long as the mic is near your face, okay. that's great. It's right here, okay, guys. So you're listening to air conditioning. Love it. Um, augmented reality that scares me a bit because I had a conversation with somebody saying, Alexi, you don't even have to worry about aging anymore. Uh, all you have to do is put your I can put my augmented reality glasses on or whatever. Uh-huh. You can put yours on. We could, and I could project what I want you to look like. I don't know what they're talking about, but I was like, what a weird way to make a case for it. This, what? I've never can, heard that. Yeah, can't we just accept one another? Yeah, like what do you like? Augmented reality, that's, is that what Instagram does now on stories where you can just put shit on your face and a thing? Kind yeah, of? it's like it's an early, super primitive uh, version of. Augmented reality. I think I feel like nobody's ever really talked about how intense that is. That you can just put this thing on, it, anal- it scans your face, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're a dog or whatever. You know, yeah. like yeah, it's just using uh, computer vision. It's like one camera, computer vision. Yeah, just like it basically is able to kind of like infer things based off of a basic set of c- criteria and then it just kind of locks on to you and you can just like you know move around and it reacts to changes so so forth augmented reality is much more than that i mean augmented reality for me is about like walking down the street and like seeing like see your boyfriend leave a note for you on a billboard so when you're like driving down the road, you see this billboard, and because like you just put a marker, like you know this billboard or whatever, or you just say like criteria, like next billboard, you know, put this note or whatever out there. Yeah. And you're driving on the freeway, and it knows that you're driving, and like you look up, and there's a billboard, and it says like, hey, don't forget to buy some soy milk or. You know, How would oat you do? It? You'd, you'd be wearing your goggles, your glasses. Yeah, you'd be wearing your glasses because you can see normally as you would. But yeah. there's like graphical overlays at times. You oh know? my god. Um, you know, or you're walking down the street and, you know, someone has tagged and like maybe someone you follow puts a piece of art in a geolocation, you know, so you walk by and you're like, oh, fuck, there's a thing that they posted and like, here it is. And you can walk around it and look at it, but it's not really there. Oh, so it is like Pokemon. Yeah, it's like bit. Pokemon, which Pokemon when people are like, it's augmented reality. It's like not really augmented reality. To me, augmented reality should be stereoscopic. What does that so, mean? Meaning that you should, it's 3D. Okay. 
So you should be able to see objects in 3D, not just to see something that looks 3D in a 2D context. Yeah. So it's an informational overlay um, in your in your reality. Yeah. So you can still function in reality. You can still see as you normally would. But now there's like contextual information that shows up, whether you're at a party and there's like facial recognition and it's like Bob so-and-so from blah, 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 blah. And like whether that's good or bad, at least it's useful. Mm-hmm. So you don't keep forgetting, you know, I mean... Obviously, you don't want people to atrophy from just asking directly. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I'm so sorry, I forgot your name, but what is your name again? As opposed to, like, here's the, Maybe Bob. So the, the facial you know, recognition, and they've, made, they've, they've allowed the permissions so that you can see their profile when you're walking in a party, yeah. walking around a party. But it's also useful if you are at a party and it's supposed to be a mixer or a meetup, you know, a girls' night out or whatever, like, and you want, like, people, you can do really cute stuff, like, where people can, like, create their own name badge and their informa- informa- information um, that you would see with augmented reality glasses, and it would just be kind of funny, yeah. you know, and fun, and, and everyone knows that that's what's happening, or that's what's happening, yeah. So I should stop being so worried about it, it making people feel connected, but also disconnected. I mean, it could. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. Just like all of it, I guess. And we need control over it. You know, we need we need to be able to control how much of it, how much of ourselves are made available. What's what's being made available? How much do we want to see from other people? If people oh are like, you know, think about like you know perverts or whatever. Like you know, when they're walking down the street, they might like associate their their data to some lewd shit or whatever and you're walking down the street and suddenly you just see like a guy's head and it looks like a big cock or something like that. Oh my God. Or it's it's a picture of their cock but like they're like you're walking around. Who knows? Oh yeah, some control. I would never even thought of that. That's completely, yeah. Yeah, privacy control. So you could have a thing where like it's only your friends, you know, that you see stuff from, you know, in your augmented reality glasses. So everyone else is like, whatever. Yeah. But some people might be like, hey, I designed this whole new avatar for me or whatever. And they're just publicly open to anybody who wants to be open to that. So as you're walking down, they're just like laughing. So you I'm might share. see people like pointing at someone laughing and they just look like a normal person. But if you had the augmented reality glasses, you'd see they look like a giant, weird, like rusty robot or something. Do those glasses exist yet? Do you have them? No. I what? mean, I have one. I have a Meta 2, but it's what? it's pretty... Meta too. It's, it has again. It's tethered. It's hooked up to a computer. Okay. And it's like pretty rudimentary. A really cool company, but still light years away. I mean, the closest thing that we have is um, Magic Leap. Magic Leap. Um, what's that? Yeah. Um, How did you get so involved with the? What's Magic Leap? Though? Well, Magic Leap is a company that's been super secretive for a long time, based out of Florida, and they created this augmented reality, these augmented reality glasses. Um, uh, finally, they're releasing a developer. Um, version kit for it um, at the end of August, I think, or September sometime. So people are going to actually have, and people have demoed the real units. So uh, so that does exist. Uh, we'll see what becomes of it, but you know, it's just going to be an evolution if people find it useful or not. How did you get so involved in VR and, and augmented reality? Like when were you plucked from, uh, like how did this, how, you just went towards it or your friends or like you're like... I just I always loved technology since I was a little kid. Yeah. So the idea of putting on magic glasses that make you see a fantasy world. I when mean, you put it like that, that's that's all it is. Yeah, that's magic, all it is. Magic glasses. Yeah, there's just like it's like a portal into another world. Yeah, that's that's all it. To me, that's what it should feel like. You know, you just slip it on and you're like, oh, this is so fucking awesome. Okay, I'm sold. Okay, you know, yeah, that's, that's what it should be. Yeah, but when it gets all techy, like I said, you know, and it's all computer and programs and like. Tr- you know, troubleshooting and double checking and like system updates and and is the right connector connecting to the right thing? Like all, it's too complicated right now. Yeah. So you have to really be into it to 
to do it. Yeah. Um, but me being a user interface uh, freak and just wanting technology to be in service of human beings, I'm perpetually frustrated by by it. Yeah. When was the moment in your career that changed everything? Like what? When? What? What? What happened in your life where you're like, holy shit, everything has changed? Uh, I mean, I guess when I got the Conan O'Brien opening slot for his tour, for his live tour, that was kind of a pretty big moment. How did that happen? For me. Um, Todd Levin. Uh, do you know him? He sounds familiar. Who is he? A producer? Comedian? He is... I have no producer. idea who he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just going to look up yeah. real quick because... Reggie just pulled out his phone. Pulled out I'm my just, phone. He said, I'm just going to look. I'm just looking. I'm, I'm going to go... I'm, because I'm insecure, Okay. I'm looking at my phone. I got yeah. two texts from my mom. Oh, good. Yeah. That's a good thing, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So Todd Levin, um, he... I guess, you know, the, the whole debacle happened with The Tonight Show, and it was announced that he's going to go on a live tour, and they were looking for an opener, and Todd Levin suggested me um, as an opener, um, and he sent Conan, or they watched together some videos or whatever, and Conan was like, I like that guy, let's have him. Yeah. And so I got the call one day, and I was like, oh, fuck, oh, oh, yeah, sure, okay. And, you know, I, I mean, I was in shock, but I did that tour, and it was one of my favorite tours I've ever done. It oh was my God. kind of once in a lifetime, you know, it's never going to happen, that situation is never going to present itself again so it's very historical and um and that really kind of changed things because you know it's like conan o'brien he was taking a risk and they did it and and thanks to todd for suggesting it you know um and just believing and you know like oh this this weird dude i think it'll be perfect for what you're doing and it worked out great the audiences at first were like i don't know what the fuck's going on but they really started it all started to pick up steam you know gig by gig and yeah, it was fun. A lot of great learning lessons for me. And, you know, also, you know, when I won the Andy Kaufman award, that was like a big honor for me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I almost didn't apply, but Kristen Shaw kept on saying like, you got to apply, you got to apply, you got to apply. And I did, I went down to like the wire. I just got the submission in like just before it was closing, like an hour before they closed, like the, by the midnight, you know, the day, the end of submissions. And uh, yeah, and so I got into that, and like you know, made the semifinals, and then I I won it, and uh, it was an ama- that was an amazing moment because I got to sit down with Andy's father, and his father told me, you know, he kind of writes out the check, you kind of sit with him alone, you know, and he kind of writes out the check, and it's like five five thousand dollars, and uh, and he writes out the check, and he's telling stories about Andy, and uh, it was very emotional, you know, to hear about the things that Andy would do for his fans and going out of his way to like, you know, help a, a girl, a girl with cancer, you know, in the hospital. And, and I was like, gosh, this guy was not only brilliant and pushing the boundaries of performance art in the mainstream. Um, but he was also a, an infinitely compassionate person. So that was like, that was a, that was a big moment for me. And I remember getting tons of texts, you know, back then it was like all these texts from everyone hearing about it, but just people texting about it, not really internet, but like, you know, oh. someone texting. And so like the text chain of like the whole comedy community, Holy you shit. know, Chelsea Peretti and fucking, uh, um, I don't know, uh, Kate yeah, Kate, yeah, maybe Kate Berlant. Well, not at that time. I didn't know her then, but like, um, Baron Vaughn and, um, you know, the moon, moonlight people. I don't mind uh, why I'm at it's such a loss for all the people, but like, yeah, I mean, it was just like this 
avalanche of all these comedians that were part of the downtown New York alternative comedy scene and just like getting all these texts from them saying, Oh, congratulations, man. That's really, you know, it's awesome. And you know, so that was a, that was a big turning point too. Ted talk after that. Uh, the Ted talk was, I think it was after that. Did you already have James Corden? No. Before no, that was way before James Corden. So how did that come to be? And you know, well, I was doing a lot of TEDx's. So I did TEDx Atlant- Mid Atlantic, I think, and TEDx. Um, how did this happen? Uh, the TEDx's, I think, I just got invited to. I did Pop Tech one year. I did Pop Tech, and Pop Tech is it's an innovation technology conference in the spirit of TED. I think it might have been before TED, possibly, but it it takes place in Camden, Maine, only. And uh, it happened once a year in this, like, really beautiful, lovely uh, uh, town hall. It's just amazing. And it's a sm- much smaller group of people. Um, but you would still get, like, all the crazy, awesome, like, you know, genomics. You know, Craig Venter would present his, you know, gene- human genome project and, like, what they've learned from that. Or, like, the guy from uh, Moda uh, from Chicago Molecular Gastronomy Restaurant would like talk about like creating these amino acid protein food substrates that could be packaged and dumped in um, like crisis situations or like in people are yeah starving in Africa they could just like airdrop these like wafers that have like twelve thousand or twelve hundred calories you know per wafer with all the amino acids they need so a lot of like amazing innovation that way but I did that and I I met Brian Eno through uh, Pop Tech and we became friends. And, um, you know, Ilaria Bulgari, you know, was there and like sat next to her one day. It was just like all these incredibly powerful people because Camden, Maine is like a huge population of ex-CIA live there. Oh, really? So there's a lot of like, um, you know, it's just a lot of powerful people live there, but it's a very quaint beautiful like Maine town with like, you know, leaves turning color and like all the New England style, um, uh, houses and like it's just very beautiful, very yeah. quaint. Um, so that took you to the TED Talk, and, and that and that got me to like TED X's. Um, so I did like I don't know, probably like four TED X's, and I was like, when am I going to get to do TED? I really want to do TED profit. Yeah. And I would talk about it, and then TED for the first time ever, they did this thing called it was called TED Full Spectrum, and they had a a contest where you would actually give a TED like presentation. Oh, funny. Um, at a location in New York, um, like Midtown somewhere. And uh, no, it was actually Chelsea. And so you show up, you know, you got you had to get approved. And then and it was like, I don't know, maybe like 50 people, you know, got approved. And then you would do your presentation. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do that and see if I can do it that way. Yeah. And I did it. And I got selected, like one of five, to get selected to go to TED. And so it was funny that, and then when I met like some of the people who booked Ted and they were just like, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad we got you one way or another, you know, cause, cause like I was like, well, if I'm not going to get invited, um, then at least I'll try to figure out a way to make it happen for myself. And so luckily they did that full spectrum thing. I got oh. to try out and I got chosen and that's how I did the Ted thing. Oh my God. And then, uh, James Corden. When, yeah. What was that moment like? What happened? How'd that happen? Uh, what happened? What ha- happened? <laughs> what ha- happened was uh, <laughs> he uh, he turned into a third level elf and mm-hmm. it was attacking um, this pterodactyl. <laughs> and uh, no, um, I I had just quit Comedy Bang Bang. I'd just done my last ten episodes. Oh, that was after, that was after Conan. 
Yeah, that was after comedy. Sorry, I skipped yeah. that. I went, oh my God. Yeah. I'm a, like, Jesus. Yeah, so I was doing comedy bang bang for, you know, three and a half seasons, I think. So, um, and I, I said I was leaving at the, you know, at the beginning of the third season. I'm like, can you, can you stay on, you know, because we, you know, it's too close or whatever. I was like, okay, sure, I'll do, you know, and I agreed to do 10 episodes. So did, t- did the 10 episodes. It was really awesome. It was really good. And, then I, and I was looking forward to, um, just being able to do whatever I wanted to do and like not have, I mean, not like comedy bang bang only took up like three months of my life a year, but in those three months, sometimes I would just get too like, it was just too much. Cause I'm, I'm used to like not working that much, like 12 hours, you know, on set where you're mostly waiting and bless their hearts. I mean, they created a really amazing show that so many people love and I love being a part of it, but the work, the amount of work that went into it. <laughs> Uh, I was just not made, meant built for that, and I started to get grumpy, and and I didn't have a good attitude sometimes, and I was starting to be grumpy with people, and mm-hmm. I when that starts to happen, I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't want that. That's not who I am, and I want to treat people well. So, anyways, that was part of the reason, or that was the reason for leaving. I left, and then I was like, okay, great. Now I'm gonna like focus on you know projects that I want to do, and you know maybe pitch some stuff or whatever. And then I was like getting ready to leave, and I think I was in town for like maybe another week or something. And then I got a call from my manager saying like, this guy James Corden wants to meet with you about being a band leader. And I was a fake band leader on Comedy Bang Bang. I was a fake one man band on a fake talk show. And then suddenly there's this guy that wants to talk to me about being a real band leader yeah. for a real talk show, and. I just was like, what the fuck is happening right now? It was just like like a week or two weeks after being done with Bang Bang. It was really weird timing. And then uh, I met with James and James James and Ben, the show showrunner, and they were just really Ben was like doubtful of me. He was like, I don't know about this guy. Why? You know? Well, because he didn't know anything about me. He was the showrunner and he's like his job is to make sure that you know, the right people are involved, you know, so rightfully so he should have been skeptical, but, um, and he's a really sweet guy, but he kind of, like he said, I want him over, you know, when we were talking at dinner and, um, and then he left James and I to talk further and, um, James and I, you know, James was like, listen, man, you know, it'll be a really easy gig. Come in at four 30, you could be out the door by six 30. Oh Jesus. You know, he, he was, he said that. And what's crazy is that he's completely right. It started like where I was coming in at two. And then I, then I was like, well, I kind of don't want to be there for rehearsals because I don't want to see them, the monologue. I, I didn't, I'd rather experience the monologue when we're taping the show so that my reactions are real. Um, and once the band was going and we were improvising everything anyways, unless it's a special show where they need me for a bit, uh, the standard procedure is like it's pretty much the same, mm. and so I didn't find the need for me not being in rehearsal. And then eventually Ben was like, "You know what? I, I see what you're saying, and the energy is different." When um, so, so what James said was completely accurate. Like Jesus, he, he, did, he said it even without him knowing that there was like rehearsals or that re- it would get reduced from like he was like be there at four thirty and leave at six thirty. He was completely right. Yeah. So that's kind of how it happened. It happened out of the blue. James, it happened out of the blue for him being asked to do the show. And then pretty rapidly after that, they're like, we need somebody. And then I guess someone, I, I still have to find out who it was, but someone sent a video. Oh, wow, um, you don't know who. Someone that knew James that was part of the production. Like, was like, what about this guy? Yeah. I'll have to find out who it is. Todd Levin again. It's probably Todd Levin. It's just Todd. All rosy. Oh, Todd. Got to get some of that Todd Levin. I know. Uh, how do you say so present? Because you say even if you do, you get in your head and sometimes in your life, yeah. like we all do, whatever. But like, how 
are you so present? And then the, like, it's, how do you do it? If you can even put words to it. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I guess I gravitate to that state, you know, uh, um, for sure. Especially if I'm doing a show. Um, I try to make it so that I have to be present because I, I, I want to know the least amount of information about what I'm doing. And that gives me, that makes me, puts me in the moment because I have to pay attention. I didn't like, you know, go over a script or like look at all the bits that are going to happen in the show or look at all the beats or I, I don't do any of that. I'm just like, okay, I'm here. What's next? Because I can react pretty quickly. I can shift pretty quickly. If something changes, I'll be like, oh, that's great. Or like suddenly James will like ask me a question out of the blue and I'll immediately have an answer, like just instantaneously. So it's so it's just tuning into a frequency. Just tuning into a frequency. And if you and you're just so you never get self conscious, you never get scared, you never get nervous. I mean sometimes I'll get a little nervous, uh, but it's more like energy. Energy. Yeah, like I use it as energy. It's like excitement more? Yeah, exactly. So is that a good thing to do? Call being nervous, being excited? Yeah, it could be, yeah. Yeah, mind being trip? excited, yeah. Being excited or just being like slightly overwhelmed. Oh, boy. Any tips left for me to be more present? How do I do it? <laughs> How, you can't you just, you just tune into a frequency. It's just, I, give me I a mean, tip. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one way. I mean, some of it is also just like sometimes I find like listening to music and actually listening to all the different parts that are going on in the music. So you start to, I mean, for me, I, I use my ears a lot. So a lot of staying in the moment is just being aware of the acoustics of a room, you know, um, just noticing stuff like what's the architecture of the room? Like, oh, what's what's the what's the paint color? Oh, that's interesting. There's wood slats over here. Um, you know, oh, the interesting, wi- uh, you know, window uh, locks on the windows are kind of interesting pieces of hardware or, you know, the sound of someone sweeping outside or like, you know, a car going by, like all those things. Like there's so much happening in every single moment. And we just kind of gloss over it because... You or know, on Instagram. Especially with the phone yeah, the yeah. phone culture, it's like you just gloss over everything. You're, just, you're kind of living... It's like a smoker. It's like you're living for the next cigarette. Oh, yeah. You're, like, you're kind of just passing the time until you get to have that next cigarette. That next hit of dopamine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the same thing with the phone. It's like, boy, I can't wait. Like, let's say you're doing something you're not like super stoked about. You're like, and, you're, and you're like, well, I can't wait till this is over so I can look at my phone. Yeah. Ugh. And and it's the same. It must be. I've never done. I've never done cigarettes, but mm-hmm. um, but I imagine. I imagine it's kind of a similar feeling. Yeah. Like oh yeah, oh that's really cool. Because I used to talk to my friends like about like what a smoker is kind of doing when you're having a conversation with them, like, and you know you've been having a long conversation, and they haven't had a cigarette for a while. There's a point at which the the craving starts to intensify, <laughs> and then they appear to be listening. And and they're partially listening, but they're really like they're preparing for the window of opportunity mm-hmm. to excuse themselves yeah. to have a cigarette. So they're like, yeah, oh, that's so cool. Huh. That's weird. Well, uh, I'm going to take a break or whatever, you know, and then they go out and then they smoke their cigarette and like, yeah. you know, make themselves groovy again and then like come back in and then you know and then it starts all over again yeah so um so be aware of your surroundings to get present yeah like just listen to what's happening around you um you know breathe in like a little bit more or if you notice your you know like check to see if your your shoulders are tense you know kind of lower your shoulders once in a while because i'll notice like i'll hunch my shoulders start to my shoulders start to rise 
you know, and then I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, I've been like tense the whole time. Oh, shit. And stretching a little bit, like whatever, just listening to your body, taking care of yourself. Have I drank enough water today? Oh, let me drink another glass of water. And then getting up and like, I'll do games. Like, I'll be like, how fast can I fill this glass of water? Um, before I get like a text or before I hear a noise or yeah. something like that. I'll play like games like that. Or I'll be like, how smooth can I make this uh, shake, this protein shake in the morning? Like I'll like open the refrigerator. I'm like, like, oh, I've grabbed the handle of the refrigerator really accurately and I've opened it up with just enough force, not too much, but just enough force. I'm reaching in to grab the bottle of water and I'm pulling it out just as the door is about to close so I just clear it barely and then as I'm moving over to the blender I'm unscrewing the top of the bottle and then the blender is open and ready and then like I'll just pour the water in but then I make sure that the angle of the bottle is like at a at a point at which it's not like you know glugging you know into the thing it's like it's got enough of a channel of air so that it's equally like decompressing and so so I'll do that and then that's all smooth and then I like put the bottle down and then I reach in and like how can I grab the scoop in one thing and like put it in so it's a whole game I, I kind of analyze processes or driving in traffic the same thing yeah I want to make a smooth merge into <laughs> this I'm not going to be too fast because I'll be anticipating I won't give cars enough time to react to let me in like it's just a constant Kind of slightly OCD, but like a fun game. There's also an unhealthy side of that too, where I'm just like, like what? <laughs> like you get to like, like is that person gonna is that person gonna move that glass? It's so close to the edge of the table. Are they gonna move that glass? I wonder if they're gonna move that glass. I wonder if they they should move that. Gla- you know, like there's like <laughs> things like that yeah. that I'll notice, or I'll be like. God, you know, or I was in Las Vegas recently and I'm like, oh, look at all these, like this person, like, why are they not considering? Look, they're walking, but they're looking at their cell phone while they're walking. And it's like, he's going to hit that guy. And he was going to, yep, there he goes. He hit the guy. Yeah. But they didn't recognize each other. They just kept walking. Ah, uh, that's, you know, it's no, being kind of a little bit too hyper aware of things can sometimes fall back on myself and make me f- have anxiety. And suffer. Yeah, yeah. Tiny bit of suffering. Oh yeah. my god! But you can use that as a tool to kind of like make life fun because you're like noticing like the dynamics of your small, the tiniest actions. Um, how do you balance doing all the things you want to do just on your own time with now being on the show? Well, I mean, I balance all that. Be it's just two hours a day, I guess. It's right? being present, or what do you? Yeah, I mean, are there things you want to do that you can't? do contractually or because there's just not enough time and you're or it's none of my business you know well no no there's there's certain things i what i try to do is i trust i just try to keep it down to um i keep it down to me the work that i do is when i'm working so i don't do anything to prepare before it so if i have a performance then i know when I show up at the performance, the amount of time that I'm going to be performing is that's the work. Or for the Late Late Show, I show up, I go to makeup, and I go to set, and I do the show, and then I leave. So it's just that amount of time for anything that I do. Or like this Microsoft thing I did, I performed for six or seven minutes, and you know they had to be told repeatedly you know, until they understood. It was like, oh, he's going to improvise. He can't really provide you a script of what he's going to say. You'll just have to trust him and and they did, and they pared down all the, like, there was a conference call for, like, artistic stuff. And, like, it all got pared down to, like, I just have a sound check. I'm going to meet with the people who are doing the thing, and then I have a performance. And I did it, and it went smoothly, and they were all like, oh, that totally worked. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, you just got to trust. I've done this a lot. I'm, I, I know what I'm doing at this point, I hope. And um, so for me, it's just whittling down to the essential 
and 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 then the rest of the time it's like I'm just fighting for my own free time, like trying not to take too many phone calls, trying not to book too many podcasts, uh, filming things, yeah. Oh, yeah, podcasts. Oh my god, <laughs> Any, these but, stupid podcasts, stupid podcasts. They're going for an eon. Dumb dumbs. But you have this beautiful life that you've just created. That's completely just. It's for you, I mean, it's just like like nobody else's life. You're just present. That's what your job is to be present and to be creative and in the moment. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. So magical. Yeah, I try to appreciate it all the time. I was talking to my friend Natalie Morales, amazing actor, um, director, writer. But she um, she was like, oh, I was like, she was like, I'm in my trailer because she's filming a thing for a Santa Clarita. And, uh, and uh, I was like, do you ever just think about like when you were nine years old and like think of your nine-year-old self, you know, this, I mean, we do this all the time. Everybody does it, but like think of your nine-year-old self and then project all the way to you sitting in a trailer, shooting a television show with Drew Barrymore. Like, like she's like all the fucking time. Yeah. She's like, it trips me out. And sometimes I'm like, I just don't understand how this is happening. You know? And I think of it as sometimes like, I'm driving in Germany in the Autobahn and I've rented an Audi V8, you know, R8 V10 plus. And I'm like on the Autobahn driving super fast, listening to techno music by myself. And then I think about my 10 year old self looking at car and driver magazine and all these like super like amazing cars and me going like, Oh, I'd love to drive on the German Autobahn someday. And then I just teleport to that moment and I'm like, Oh, this is crazy. I'm doing that. Yeah. This is awesome. And it's just, you know, listening to, Listening to my intuition, protecting my creative vision, simplifying things, keeping it down to essentials, and uh, and then keeping the audience in mind, you know, when I'm doing things and not getting too much in my head. Um, all of those things. That's kind of like what allows you to uh, to create, to project what you'd like to have happen, and to kind of meet that possibility. It may not be exactly how you pictured it, but but you'll find yourself there. You know, it's kind of amazing. Are you in therapy? Do you meditate? Do you smoke copious amounts of weed? <laughs> or? Um, I think copious is okay. only, only associated <laughs> to weed, which is kind of weird. Oh, really? I only hear like copious amounts, and then I think weed. Oh, I always say I've, I've taken copious notes. Oh, I copious? never. I'm, oh, you use copious for notes. Here, so you're copious agnostic. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I I am seeing a therapist for the first time. I guess for the first time in my life. And that's been really fun, actually. It's been really cool. You get to talk about yourself. Yeah, it's super chill. It's it's great. It just feels like a nice like little maintenance thing. I don't really I don't I don't really have too many like major, major issues. It's more just about not getting hung up on little things that I might be berating myself over that I don't need to be. Yeah. You know? So yeah, so I do do that. I I participate in marijuana like I don't know, like Five days a week, um, the but I usually have a couple days off or a day off, uh, just to remind myself like I don't need it all the time. But I definitely I get overwhelmed because there's a lot of things coming at me all the time. Like my inbox for my email drives me insane sometimes, and I can't look at it and I don't respond to things for a while. Um, but so I get a lot of input and it kind of shuts me down a little bit. And when I smoke weed or when I have an edible, um, it just reminds me, puts me in that state of like the momentous state where you're like, oh, you know what? Enjoy life. Remember that part? Don't be like so anxious and like, you know. That part, enjoy life. Yeah, we're all just going to die anyway. Yeah. It's a matter of when and how. 
Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, you don't need weed to do that, but it's like everybody has their own method, you know, meditation or stretching or, you know, running or whatever it is, reading a book. Um, they're all just methods to kind of remind you of the simple, the simplicity of life constantly happening all around you all the time, as opposed to living in your anxiety. Oh God. Yeah. I got to stop living in my anxiety. Well, so, okay. So you have a girlfriend, you're living your life, you're doing all your stuff. Then what's next? Do you ever want to get married, have kids, blah, 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 yakety schmackety, all these things or what, or even career wise, like what's, what's, we didn't even talk about your Netflix special, which is fantastic by the way. Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really particularly motivated to have children, so that's not a big priority in any way. I would say I'm just looking forward to making more larger scale works. So short film, a movie, uh, VR experiences, interactive VR experiences, working, um, with technology companies on user interface design and, um, I just love engineers and technologists and, you know, hanging out with them and kind of helping them develop tools for creative people that are actually useful. Yeah. Um, that's important. And also just making more, creating awesome, immersive, crazy experiences for people. Yeah. Um, that's, those are all the things I'm kind of working on. I, I am working on a comedy special, Pitching a comedy special, hopefully someone wants to make it, but it'll be really great. It'll be set in Berlin. And uh, oh, really? Why Berlin? At, with Netflix? I again, love do you Berlin. Think? Do you, would you think you do it with Netflix? Or definitely I, I would not hope Netflix. so. I yeah. mean, I like Netflix. So you know, I mean, there's a bunch of people that could be interested in it. But um, why Berlin? Uh, but yeah, Berlin. I just love Berlin. I love techno music, and I love Berlin. I love the language. I love the multiculturalism of the city. I love uh, where it's come from and how it's had to rise from the ashes and. Um, it's, it's just a really beautiful place. It's still relatively cheap for artists. So you still get a lot of really great artists living there, um, doing really cool stuff, installation stuff. It's a little bit more lax, lax socially. Mm -hmm. You can kind of do more things just as a responsible adult. Um, whereas, you know, the United States is pretty, pretty regulated, you know? I mean, you go to small places, like I'm from Montana and I definitely Great Falls, Montana, super chill. Like, you can kind of do what you want as long as you're not hurting somebody, you know, or, or fucking around with people's property or whatever. But like, you can kind of like live your life and no one really says too much, you know? Um, and, but in general, the United States, there seems to be a lot of regulation. Like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. We check this and this permit and this blah, 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 blah. And Germany is definitely <clears throat> super regulated for sure, but socially less so. Yeah. It's just not as socially regulated. There's a lo there's a longer, larger culture, and they have a different relationship to being a citizen in a city than we do. Yeah. So, uh, so I enjoy it. I mean, I, I love living in um, wherever I'm living. Where, where did you say we were again? I think we're in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay. I think it's yeah, yeah. Los Angeles. All right. Um, but uh, yeah. So, but Berlin. I just like the vibe. I love the music. I love the architecture, the design, the craftsmanship. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot to love about it you for do, me. Yeah. You're going to do your next special there. Yeah. Why not? It'd be great. Oh, my God. Well, I think I've, uh, I feel like I've wrung you dry. I feel like I did my job. You totally did. We got it all out of you. Yeah, we got every uh, single thing. Okay, out. good. Good. Oh, we didn't get to talk about what a skinny mini you are in this fitness you know, uh, thing. I mean, my God. How much further are you going with that? It's just a part of your life now. Is uh, it good for your brain? I'm just I'm looking to lose like like eight 
eight or ten more pounds. Really? That's always been the goal for the last year. Oh, my God. It's just this this what, little thing here. What happened with you where you're like, I'm doing this thing? You're just like, I want to be healthy to help with your mood. Is it just you do it every single day you exercise? Yeah. I mean, I exercise like four times a week usually yeah, with a trainer. With a trainer. And we do weightlifting, weight training. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just like it. I like feeling strong. I like having my cardiovascular system like super optimized so I can, you know, run up a, like sometimes in those airports, they have like those really long staircases. Yeah. You know? And sometimes I'll just be like, oh, fuck it. I've got my backpack and my like little suitcase. And I'm like, I'm doing going it. two stairs at a time, you know, five, st- five flights of stairs, you know, just like, yeah. All the way to the top. And I'm like a little out of breath at first. And then I quickly adapt. And then I'm just breathing normally again. I'm like, ah, oh, that's so dope. Yeah. Love it. Well, you look very handsome. Stop it. Thank and you. Thank Thanks, you. Lexi. You thank, look really pretty. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. That's all I wanted you to say. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you for being on my podcast, Reggie Watts. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This is awesome. Thank you. We're out of here.